Oscars season is here and two Marvel films have been nominated. We also have major news on Miss Marvel, Moon Knight, and the Batman, as well as a review of the Book of Boba Fett season finale and some breaking news from the world of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Oh, and we also have your Super Bowl trailer preview. It's the Direct Podcast, episode 74. Let's get busy. Truth is, we need new heroes. Thanks for the lesson. This is the way. In my culture, I am a Jedi. I am birthed with glorious purpose. They're all villains here. Not us united. I'm a superhero! Welcome inside episode 74 of the Direct Podcast. On a Wednesday, whole lot of stuff to break down in this episode. We are putting the rundown together. We thought we were going to get a light news week, and then all of a sudden, Oscar nominations come out, and we got stuff to talk about i am your host the content machine liam crowley joined alongside as always by vengeance matt remke matt i'm feeling like the new nickname is because someone got some tickets today i am vengeance and the road to the batman begins now or friday or friday because oh because on friday we will be reviewing batman begins the first of our nolan trilogy rewatch very exciting i was referring to the fact that i got tickets for the early fans screening for the batman and liam i'm all in it's all batman from here on out like like i've been on the star wars kick of my life lately it's kind of getting derailed by batman a little bit and i'm here for it we are both locked in for that batman imax screening too which i'm so stoked about being forced to see it in imax not that i wouldn't want to but being Put in a position where, hey, you want to see it early, you got to see it on the big, big screen. Matt Reeves, detective story, noir, the sound, the mixing, the visuals. It's going to be exquisite. As Matt alluded to there, two shows a week. This is the last week for the foreseeable future that we will be doing two shows a week because obviously the book of Boba Fett ended today. Thank you, Boba Fett, for making double the content possible. We will be doing two shows a week. Once again, once content does double up, uh, double up as Matt likes to say, oh. but we, we, we don't have it in the schedule just yet. So thank you all for supporting uh, two shows a week and for making those two episodes possible today. Like I said, recovering Boba Fett Friday, Peacemaker episode seven, seven. penultimates. Sure. I remember saying penultimate last week, seven uh. next week. <laughs> and as Matt mentioned to our Nolan trilogy re- rewatch beginning with Batman begins. So if you want to watch along with us, make sure you pop in Batman begins between now and Friday. So you can hear our in-depth spoiler filled thoughts on that movie. Very similar to what we did with the Spider-Man retrospective. Now just going to the world of Christopher Nolan and Christian Bale and Batman and Joker and Scarecrow and Ra's al Ghul and Bane. It's going to be exciting. Just a little teaser. I I have already watched it. We haven't recorded the review yet, but just get ready to feel the Nolan Batman theme again. I forgot how much it was in that first and that it's so good, man. It's so good. It's going to, it's going to be a lot to live up to uh, with Michael Giacchino's score because um, obviously it was Hans Zimmer who did Batman. Yeah. I'm not mistaken. Cause he just does all Zimmer and someone else. Aaron looked it up. Um, I'm going to look it up. But either way, Michael Giacchino, known for doing Spider-Man movies. Like, he, he's got the da-na-na-na-na-na. He's got, like, the happy-go-lucky superhero vibe. Everything we've seen from scores from the Batman so far have been, like, just exquisite. So I'm stoked to hear whatever he's got. But like you said, 
Hans Zimmer is, is no joke. You know, he's someone that I don't know if he's going to pass him. I think he just might have to be in a league of his own. That's someone we're going to cover this Friday with our Batman Begins review. Before we get started with the top news of the week, we have a quick question from, from excuse me, Donnie Chang Chim, a.k.a. Bruh. It's Donut over on Twitter, one of our biggest supporters, a day one OG fan of the Direct Podcast. He gave us a five-star rating on Spotify, but unfortunately, Spotify doesn't allow you to drop comments. So I said, hit me up with your quick question in the DMs, and he gave us a fantastic one. He asks, how did y'all start working for the Direct, and what gave you the idea for the podcast? Such a heartwarming question to get this uh, podcast, this episode 74, kicked off. Matt, I'll go to you first with the first half of that question. How did you start working for the Direct? I started working for the Direct. It was what, 2019? Is that when we all got hired? The I applied in January 2020. Okay, so yeah, the, the the shout out came out, I think, in December of 2019, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly. So I've been following MCU Direct, <clears throat> excuse me, on Instagram for the longest time because Brian and the squad, they can make the hell out of a thumbnail which is still something we can very much do. One of the best, if not the best image teams in the biz. Shout out to everybody on the image team of the direct. Um, And then I saw the shout out for, Hey, we need writers and stuff. Right. So I was working at a job. I didn't like um, for a boss. I didn't like it was, it was covering uh, local news like fires and COVID and maps and shit. So um, when I saw a shout out for writers, um, I just lost a freelance client. So I was like, Oh, that could be cool. I've, I've never really written anything but um i can help them with graphics probably so i i uh, sent my shout out to brian <clears throat> mentioned that you know you know i could write i'm, I'm definitely something i want to do something i want to try to do but i can also help with image work and you know video effects and different stuff like that and brian reached back out to me and said hey we're looking for somebody just like you who can do the image stuff and maybe dabble in some writing and um it kind of snowballed from there until um you know we all got hired and then that goddamn slack channel started up um which has become the most used app in my entire life ever since that point um and uh the first big article i wrote first article i ever wrote was the mcu madness uh series mm-hmm. if you remember that that's when we put all of the marvel cinematic universe movies there was only 23 at the time if you can believe it um up against each other in a march madness type bracket and the only reason we did that article in that series over an entire month was because COVID had delayed everything and we didn't have anything to cover. And, you know, they expected to have a bunch of big covering articles. So that was what we had in place of it. And, you know, the, the rest is history. As I say, Liam, how did you get hooked up with the direct? I got started with the direct. It is a very funny story that I always, uh, I always thank my friends um, who gave me the opportunity. And I, I always just echo how much I appreciate it. Basically what happened was in January, 2020, uh, my friend, a uh, friend of the show, Luke Moran, uh, sent me a Twitter DM with the application, just out of nowhere, like nothing too crazy, just came across it on his Twitter timeline saying, I think he'd be interested in this. And because it was the very beginning of the semester um, here at Syracuse, I decided to put my heart and soul into the application because I like being busy. I like having stuff to do. And when the semester first starts, you know, you're just getting syllabuses for classes. Uh, Citrus TV, the campus television station I contribute to, is only doing practice shows. So I was like, all right, I'm going to sit down for like four hours and just pour my heart out into these questions about what's your favorite MCU movie? What's your favorite MCU character? What are some MCU experiences you enjoyed? 
And then from there, the application process was fantastic. Uh, all those like trial articles and whatnot. And then we got started with the team and then COVID hit the Friday, the website launched and yep. we were like, what happens now? But I am super fortunate um, for everything that has happened with both of our tenures with the direct, because I don't know how different things would be for better or worse if Black Widow came out in May 2020. You know what I mean? Like we would have got Falcon Winter Soldier in August 2020. What does that mean for press opportunities for the website? Like would we have grown in six months time to be able to work with Disney that closely? Or did we need to kind of grasp at straws for a little bit to show how we can make the most out of nothing to show that when something is available, we can take that stuff to the moon. So I don't regret whatsoever any of the weird stuff that happened in 2020. I'm just so grateful uh, to be a part of the team, to be a part of the team too from, from the ground up because mm -hmm. uh, both of us joined when the website launched. Since then, we have added new people to the team. We've added two branches, uh, the video game branches, PS5 Direct and Xbox Direct. But Matt and I are both day one uh, Direct members, which is pretty damn cool. It is cool. We also added DCU Direct. Uh, yeah, the, that's the, the, the original launch was just Star Wars and marvel and i know because i made the launch video and i said it to come and get your love and brian was like ah i'm i'm nervous about using that i'm like okay we are really gonna have to build this thing in a cave with a box of scraps and uh you know you talk about the covid delay and you know black widow coming out in may and stuff the podcast is really a bit of factor of that because something that brian uh the owner of the direct the founder of the direct you know our lord and savior brian grotsky um some of the best hair in the business on that brian oh yeah hundred percent. He's got a wall of hair. It's great. Um, he is very meticulous and strategic and wants to make sure that if we start something, we can keep doing that something. And, you know, it's never, it's never, you know, he, he invites ideas, but it's always, you, he wants to have a plan. He wants to get something together. And that allowed me and Liam, you know, I'd started a video series. It was post credits at the time was a news series. Now it's a feature series, uh -huh. but back in the day, it was a news series. And um, I started that up and, you know, it was doing okay. We were having fun with it. And Liam reached out. I was like, hey, if you ever need any help on this, let me know. Let me, so, let me cut in there real quick. I didn't say, hey, if you ever need any help. I did the classic Liam Crowley of I approached you so ridiculously formal, which is so funny to look back on because of how conversational and like buddy, buddy we are now. But I would literally was like, here's my resume. Here's my uh, on-air reel in case you want to see how I perform in front of a camera. Uh, like the, the all the generic email shit, like looking forward to hearing back from you. I look back at that DM and I'm just like, wow, how far yeah. we've come, how much things have changed. It was crazy. I just got back from a hike and I got like five messages from this Liam kid who I only knew from the sports channel in the Slack that we have over at the direct. Um, but, uh, no, like once me and Liam got together and decided, you know, a podcast would be fun. It's something we were both interested in. Um, I didn't know at the time you had had like seven podcasts in your life or something like that before that. Right. And, um, so the, and I, you know, being on the image team, being on the creative team at the direct, I, I got to know Brian pretty well. Cause it was really just me, him and Kevin and Elliot for a little while making the thumbnails. Right. 
And um, so I got to know Brian. I knew he would want to plan. I knew he'd want something out. And because the movies had been delayed so long, we were able to not only get a plan together, but a couple practice episodes, a couple different tones. Like we had like three practice episodes that were all completely different. There's an Iron Man review in one of them that was an hour and 10 minutes um, <laughs> and all these different things. So like the, the delay not only allowed us to approach the direct for this podcast idea with a plan and a system, it allowed us to do like a month and a half of shows before WandaVision ever came out. And that was so huge for us. Oh, no, no, not even WandaVision. It was Mando. Mandalorian. Yeah. Mando. Yeah. Yeah. We did like a month and a half before Mando came out. And by the time we got to Mando, we felt like we were in a good spot to take on a review. And then, you know, it worked out even better because uh, 84 was coming out at the end of that year. Mm-hmm. So we were like, okay, we'll do Mando reviews, prep up, get our review chops down. And then Wonder Woman 84 came out. And that's one of my favorite reviews we've ever done, even though we didn't like the movie. Um, but, uh, yeah, man, it's, it's been a ride <laughs> it's, to say the least. Yeah. For me to answer, uh, Donnie's second question, what gave us the idea? We, we just both love talking into microphones, about stuff we're passionate about, not even just superheroes. We both are like personalities. I think it's, it's fair to say, like, we like being animated. We like popping up at, at 6am watching the latest episode of Disney plus television, and then immediately going into a microphone and digesting it and getting all into it. We love going to the movie theater on a Thursday night to see Venom, let there be carnage and absolutely despise said movie, but still be able to come back to our respective homes and just chat about it. It's, it's weird because I often think about how bad I am at routines in terms of like having something that is so prevalent in my life every single day or every single week without change whatsoever. We're 74 episodes into this podcast, a little less than that in terms of a weekly basis. But the fact that we've done this consistently every single week, I barely remember what life was like before it, which is crazy um, because it's just become such an integral part of both of our weeks. And it allows us to to have a voice, not just be screaming into a Slack channel about our opinions on, you know, Falcon, Winter Soldier, Loki, WandaVision, et cetera. We're able to come here and talk to all of you and be able to interact with you guys on socials. So um, what gave us the idea? We're just two passionate individuals, but I'm just so happy that uh, the stars kind of aligned uh, for this platform to exist. And I think it's just a testament to like how much fandom can really build something like that. Because you look at me and you, Liam, I'm like, you know, uh, we're seven years apart in age. You're from Massachusetts, ski country, all that stuff. I'm from a farm town in Indiana. You're a Pats fan. I'm a Colts fan. Like, <laughs> like, like, you know, that's a yin and yang situation. But man, do we love talking about nerd shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's one of my favorite things to do. And, you know, doing it with you, doing it with these fans. It's, it's been just so fun to see it grow, see it develop. Um, and now with this 2022 we have in store, you know, Marvel, especially, but everything we have coming in 2022, as far as like content and projects being a year into it now, you know, I feel like we're ready to take this thing head on, take it by storm. WandaVision seems like 10 years ago. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that, that's really what the feeling is. But in reality, we're a few days away from the one year anniversary of the finale of WandaVision. Which is wild to think wild. about. But as you mentioned, we're taking things by storm. We have so many projects we're looking forward to covering in 2022. But for now, the here and now, the present day, we got some news to get into. You know it. You love it. It's the sizzle reel. Bum, 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 bum.
Oscar noms have arrived, and two MCU films are getting some love. Both Spider-Man No Way Home and Shang-Chi have been nominated for Best Visual Effects at the Academy Awards. Let's go. Moving over to the streaming side of the MCU, Miss Marvel may have a significant tie to the final chapter of the Infinity Saga. New set photos have revealed Kamala Khan standing opposite some Edith drones, the same weaponry used by Mysterio in Spider-Man Far From Home. And Miss Marvel has been the subject of some power changes, and it looks like another debuting hero will have the same fate. Along with his enhanced strength and reflexes and all that generic superhero stuff, Oscar Isaac to Moon Knight will also have prophetic visions. Oh, yeah. Ooh, switching over to the blue brand, a key DC Comics location exists in Battinson's world. A tie-in prequel novel titled Before the Batman revealed Metropolis is in fact in the Batman universe. And in some news from a galaxy far, far away, the universe is expanding faster than we ever expected. Without a release date set for season one, it has already been announced that Andor will be receiving a second season. What? Crazy. And in terms of Star Wars shows that are likely going to start 2022, doubling up the Star Wars news this week, the Grand Inquisitor is reportedly in Obi-Wan Kenobi, and he will be played by none other than Agent 47 himself, Rupert Friend. And for more information on all of the universes you love, check out the Direct. And if you're in the back, that is the direct.com. Matt, big <laughs> bunch of news this week. Let's start with the big ones the accolades, the Academy Awards, those uh, golden trophies that are given out to the films that we've never heard of, <laughs> essentially. But two films we have heard of uh, getting in the best visual effects category Spider Man No Way Home and Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. I do want to give a quick shout out before I toss to you. Simu Liu, uh, star of Shang-Chi, had an amazing tweet earlier today mentioning how it's not just the fact that we created the big dragons and the big set pieces and whatnot. It's about the guy who has to sit down and go frame by frame and make that make those little hairs on the dragons. Make every little speck, those hairs that, that blow in the wind that you can't even see unless you're pausing the film and zoom and enhancing but they do that to ensure that it feels lifelike and it feels like real life. And that right. to me just emphasized that even though we both talked about how the third act of Shang-Chi had some spotty CGI at times, this is still an absolute achievement. And it just goes to show how big the gold standard for Marvel is. The first question I'll ask you, uh, because we do have more Oscars talk to get into, do either of these films have a chance at winning best visual effects? Um, quick shout out Shang-Chi. You know what I mean? The the fact that everybody seems to forget, Liam, Shang-Chi saved movie theaters. Like, we all forget that, but it happened. And um, I, I, you know, this might be the Marvel fanboy in me. I haven't seen Free Guy. I haven't seen Dune yet. Um, I think Shang-Chi should win this one. You know what I mean? I've seen three of the five candidates. Um, I've seen the commercials for Free Guy and Dune. I understand. I, I, I definitely need to watch Dune. I get that. But Shang-Chi, you know, it wasn't just the dragons. There was so much that went into it. The first two minutes of that movie, when you see the first time the rings come alive and they animate and they have a personality and emotion to them, that carries throughout the entire movie and creates one of the coolest weapons we've ever seen in a superhero movie. And it 
and and when that pays off at the end, Liam, when uh, when Wu's rings are aggressive and shaky and powerful and angry, right? But when when Shang Chi grabs them, they flow, they dance, they're they're nuanced, they're behavioral. It's that movie really is a visual spectacle on every single level. Just the set pieces, which is mostly CGI. I did the article. The majority of Taylo is CGI. And it's just such an awesome thing to watch because it is magnificent and colorful and beautiful and wild and crazy. But man, does it feel kind of grounded in a way, right? You know, like it, it really does have just a great vibe to it. And I think that uh, Shang-Chi, I honestly think it's overlooked in the 2020 superhero conversation. Obviously, No Way Home stole the steam out of everybody. We decided to do our award show two weeks after that movie came out. That was a mistake on us. <laughs> um, but I think that Shang-Chi really, I, I, I would vote for it over Spider-Man No Way Home. You know, great visual effects, but totally different kind of thing. This was a world that they built in Shang-Chi, and I loved it. I'll give a quick comparison to you for, for this specific award category, because I do agree. I think Shang-Chi deserves to take this one home. Um, other movies that were nominated, obviously people will point to Dune, and even No Time to Die had stunning wow. visual effects, but great. stunning in the sense that you don't really notice them. Like mm-hmm. Shang-Chi, the rings are noticeable in that you know that they're not made by wires, per se, but it doesn't take you out of the movie. It feels natural. It flows. Uh, I go back to 2016, when Ex Machina won Best Visual Effects, And it was also nominated against movies like The Martian, Mad Max, Fury Road, these big grand spectacles, right? And even though they have huge set pieces to work in computer-generated images, Ex Machina, one of the main characters in that movie, is CGI. It's just Alicia Vikander's face on uh, an AI, essentially. So to do that to perfection for the entire runtime almost is more impressive than a whole bunch of explosions and whatnot. So while a lot of people will point to Spider-Man Far From Home, uh, excuse me, No Way Home for the grand third act in the big battle in the Statue of Liberty, which is fantastic, Shang-Chi, I don't want to say doesn't work as a movie if the rings aren't good, but it would take you out of moments that you're supposed to be fully invested in. So I'm right there with you. I do think Shang-Chi deserves uh, to take this one home and we'll be rooting for it here on the direct podcast. Another question I'll ask you though, is a lot of chatter on social media leading up to the nominations. And especially now that the nominations have been revealed, 10 pitchers nominated for the first time since 2010. First time in 12 years, we have 10 different films nominated for best picture. Every year, they open it up to as many as 10, but sometimes they only do eight. Other years, they only do seven. This year, they filled up every single slot and not a single one of those slots belonged to spider-man no way home do you think no way home deserved a best picture nomination i don't um i hate to say it i hate to be that guy um i i i'm not the guy who's gonna watch every single best picture nom movie i'm not i'm just you know that the artsy stuff i'm just not into give me some popcorn give me rachel um i think that obviously no way home is one of the greatest superhero movies ever made it was a spectacle and achievement all those things right the thing about the oscars is there needs to be some sort of level of playing field here and some of the best picture nominations um you know those are one-off movies you know we talk all the time like the one-off movies dead it's true but um you know the ones that get nominated for oscars those are singular stories being told from zero to two 
15 or whatever the t- run time is. They don't have the benefit of Dr. Strange or Doc Ock or Andrew Garfield being emotional in that scene. I, hands down, one of the greatest scenes in that movie. It doesn't work unless the Amazing Spider-Man 2 exists. You know what I mean? Like, so I, I feel like there's a difference because like you'll see Black Panther get in there. Um, you know, you could see um the dark knight get into there you know there's certain superhero movies that i think work as great action storytelling movies but i think there's a difference between a great superhero movie and superhero movies that are great you know what i'm saying so like if i were to pick any of the movies from last year to get an option to get best picture it would be eternals because it's so unreliant on the entire universe you know even though it's very much in this universe it doesn't require the rest of the universe to be as good as it is like no way home does. It's just the nature of the beast at this point. And I don't think Marvel studios gives a damn, <laughs> honestly, <laughs> like they're making, they're printing money. But um, I just think that, you know, when, when a superhero movie gets too big and it gets a little too outside the realm of a great action movie that just so happens to be about superheroes, it's instantly going to get left off the Oscar list. And I think we need to be okay with that. This is why the MTV movie awards exist. I say that as a joke, but like, seriously, like, like there are different awards for the popcorn stuff and the Oscars just isn't that. I completely agree. Um, the Oscars have a system down and I don't think you should break that system for no way home. And then that the argument will come of, well, does the system need to change? And I don't think so, because if the system changes, then the weight behind a film like no way home or just a superhero film in general, eventually getting that nomination will always be with the asterisk of, Oh, well, you know, they changed what they look into for a film. That's why Black Panther is so special because right. not only is it a Marvel film that got nominated, it's a Marvel film that got nominated with the current criteria of what makes an Academy Award nominated picture. No Way Home is a fantastic experience. I am so happy that movie exists. Oh. It's not a Best Picture nominee. It's not in the top 20. It's on paper, like, it's ridiculous. Like, the plot of that movie, like, all these bad guys, we got to trap them in their cells and then heal them and then send them back. It has great moments, don't get me wrong. Those moments, as you said, are reliant on past films in order for the emotional weight to be there. But the idea that just the narrative of No Way Home on paper does not hold a candle to anything else on this Best Picture nomination list. And I will say real quick, because I'm probably going to hugely contradict myself in this whole discussion about what makes a Best Picture nominee and what doesn't and what Marvel films deserve to be there and what doesn't. I still, to this day, now three years removed, unequivocally believe, or two years removed since nominations would have been in 2020, I believe Avengers Endgame should have been nominated for Best Picture, not because it should have won, but because of a legacy moments for that film because of everything that it built up to it and then it crushes not only a final chapter but a three-hour installment that went on to be the highest grossing movie of all time until avatar was re-released and speaking of avatar that was also nominated for and i believe won best picture back in 2009 2010 which is wild to me when i went back and did that research because i look at endgame and i see a very similar type movie in terms of it's, it's special because of the revolutionary aspects it did for franchises. Avatar was special because of the revolutionary aspects it did for visual effects and creating a world that is not possible with practical limitations. The idea that, you know, Endgame doesn't get nominated makes me feel 
a lot more okay with No Way Home not getting nominated. But still, there's always going to be a film that I think, yeah, that doesn't necessarily meet the criteria, but come on, have some respect. Show some love to the films that are keeping movie theaters in business. And I think that, you know, there's a bar that is set. The Dark Knight set a bar for it can still be a comic book movie about a man in a cape dressed as a bat going around fighting crime. But it, it needs, it's, I feel like, I don't know who the, who the Academy are. Like, I don't know, like, I don't know their names and stuff, Just but I feel like, owls. yeah, right. <laughs> um, I feel like they look at a movie and when it's something like this, when it's something like the Dark Knight, Black Panther, if I strip away the name Batman and all these different things, would this movie still be as good? And I think with movies like the Dark Knight and Black Panther, yes, take Spider-Man out of No Way Home. It's not the same movie. It doesn't carry any emotional weight left, right, or center. So I think that that's kind of that's kind of when when somebody is really excited about a comic book movie being a best picture nomination, think that in your head. If you take out the name of the comic book characters, is it still as good? Because The Dark Knight was, Black Panther was, um, and I think that you can really uh, lean into that if you kind of take that approach. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens in terms of best visual effects because up until Black Panther, Marvel Studios. I believe had never taken home an Oscar. So uh, we'll see what happens. And we're both rooting for Shang-Chi. And if Shang-Chi doesn't win, we're both rooting for Spider-Man No Way Home. Home. (laughs) And it's a discussion that always happens this time of year. And it's a discussion I'm happy to have because I love the idea of what makes an Oscar film and what doesn't. And uh, Matt, I know you're not the big art house guy. I like to watch all the best picture nominees just because it makes me appreciate the ceremony more. Like I, I like to watch the Oscars and it's, it's difficult to care when you don't know 80% of the films that are being nominated. So we'll see what happens. Looking forward to the Oscars happening later this spring. What's your favorite award at the Oscars? Ooh, uh, can I sound like a real nerd right now? Sure. Sound mixing. Hell yeah. Star Wars. You know me. I love, <laughs> I love, I love a good score, but like, I remember I went like two years ago, I went like 20 of 24 in terms of getting predictions. Right. And I nabbed, um, ford v ferrari because i was like the way the engines play off of the instruments that's gonna win sound mixing and i got it and i was like let's fucking go send me your Um, pick so i can make some money yeah i will once i I watch all the films you know i I need (laughs) to have a a basis of knowledge um either way though come in here you're gonna come here with such a high opinion of film and cinema (laughs) and 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 you know you notice dennis villanueva did not get a best director nom it's just you know I'm not saying, I'm just saying, you know what I mean? Matt Matt doesn't care for him so much. He mispronounced both of his names, Denis Villeneuve. <laughs> Man, I was wrong. Like, I was just so <laughs> wrong just now. I got to watch Dune. I got to watch Dune. I also have to watch Dune. It's bad. It's so bad. Moving into the streaming side of the MCU, though, Miss Marvel, what a story here. Oh, my God. So these set photos indicate that there are going to be drones in the show at some point, and the drones specifically are not a carbon copy of the Spider-Man Far From Home drones that Mysterio used, but they have the exact same little like diamond emblem on the front with a dot in the middle. They're shaped the same, which makes me think that this is the practical version and they'll touch them up with CGI afterwards. Either way, let's run with the assumption that these are the Mysterio drones. What do you think this means for Miss Marvel and kind of the small screen conflict that she's going to have in this show? Um, I I can't really think of like any 
solid predictions for what this can mean for the story. I think this might tie her into a sword or some sort of more space-like government entity. You know what I mean? We know she's going to land in the Marvels. So, like, her story's going to need to get galactic at some point. And I feel like maybe military and galactic is the angle for her, however that works out. She's a 14-year-old girl from Jersey. Um, But I think just more than anything, as an adversary, I think that this is just another classic staple of the MCU, world building. How often do we see things, not people, not places, not whatever, things from other movies play a part in future movies? We saw it in Homecoming. We see it in Stark Tech all over the place. What is uh, Sam Wilson's new suit made out of? Vibranium. Vibranium. You know what I mean? Like the world building in the MCU, people like it's it's so strange to me when I see people on Twitter being like, oh, here they are using Stark Tech again. Or like, oh, wow, they couldn't come up with anything original. They just had to pull it from another movie. Yeah, man, that's what makes this a universe. That's what makes this one continued story. It's awesome. I think it's I think it's one of the coolest things that they do. Um, you know, the best example, I think, obviously, is Spider-Man Homecoming, um, where they use the wreckage, not just from the Battle of New York, but later on, you see the black hole grenades, the best part of Thor Dark World. Um, you see different things from different movies all gathering up and playing a big part. And I just think that this is another step in world building, tying tying the universe together. And it all really started in Incredible Hulk when all it was was a prop on set with a box in a military hangar that said Stark Industries on it. That's all it was. And that kind of continuity just embeds in your brain that like this is one long story this is a universe and that's my favorite part can i give you a comparison that's just going to get you more excited hmm. the mandalorian season one episode five what happens when a singular atst attacks a village yes the edith drones brought a continent to its knees all of europe was defenseless against these things and Spider-Man, one of the most powerful Avengers, essentially, like, let's be real at the end of the day, like, sure, he's just a kid, but still, like, a kid can go. He was able to take them all down by himself. What happens when an Avengers fangirl is in way over her head and has to go up, go up against one, one singular one? And, you know, she'll likely win this fight, but how, at what cost? Like, does it leave some scratches and some bruises to make you realize retrospectively oh my god like peter parker really balled out he put up a triple double in far from home and makes us appreciate that movie more because when you when you take one piece of tech and isolate it and show how big it can be like i said that's why i love bryce dallas howard's star wars directorial debut so much is because it emphasizes that chicken walkers ain't nothing to mess with and if one gets in the wrong hands look what happens if one edith drone gets in the wrong hands Look what happens. Oh, yeah, by the way, that's the premise of Armor Wars. It's genius, Matt. It's genius. It's one little nuance. It's one little thing. And we're talking about establishing a young hero while also setting up a six-episode series for one of the MCU's oldest characters coming up on 12 years, canonically 14 years. Canonically, he's been there since day one. Yeah, literally. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I mean, wow. You know, um, Armor Wars, we don't talk about enough. No, we don't. And that show is going to be dope. I have been kind of banging the drum that the, uh, I'm writing a pretty 
lengthy feature on the branches of the MCU right now. And I've been beating the drum of MCU Supernatural. Like it's already picked up so much steam with uh, Dane Whitman interacting with Blade at the end of Eternals. And then now Moon Knight is like the launching part of that. Armor Wars has now been set up, in my opinion, in two projects. Not yet, but like it's going to be set up in Miss Marvel, I think. You know, I think that this this drone being a Stark Tech thing in the wrong hands, that's going to set up Armor Wars. No Way Home, straight up and down. The Department of Damage Control. Damage control. Yeah. That's what it is. It's Damage Control. Um, they seized all of Stark Tech. That's how you get to Armor Wars. You put it all in one place that isn't run by Tony Stark and or James Rhodey Rhodes, who's probably the successor as far as like the Stark Tech stuff goes. You know what I mean? So I, I just cannot wait to see Rhodey's reaction to a Stark droid being in Miss Marvel and the Stark Industries tech being seized by the damage control. I cannot wait to see how Rhodey responds to all that. Also, how awesome is it that the first scene in the first episode of Armor Wars could simply be recapping all of the Tony Stark tech that has been misplaced and misused across the world since he died? Since Tony died, here's how out of control his tech has been. Rhodey, help us figure it out. New York, Sokovia, yeah. Washington, D.C. Like that scene in Civil War is so awesome because it's recapping the MCU through the civilian perspective. Now let's get some more civilian perspective, but with these larger than life gadgets so in good. the wrong hands at a smaller scale. It's going to be dope. We talked about how great it does uh, for universe building within the MCU. One project that might be universe building. We don't know. And I don't know if we hope it is the Batman. Tie-in novel titled Before the Batman revealed that there is a character, I believe his name is Dex, just kind of like an out there, just random civilian character, random guy in a lab, random detective in a police academy or whatever. He used to have a job in Metropolis. So that's all we know. Metropolis exists within the confines of the Batman world. How do we feel about this? But the question I'll ask you is, should Superman, should Clark Kent ever exist in Robert Pattinson's the Batman world? I don't think that's a question we can answer until we see the movie. I know it's kind of a cop-out, but like based on the trailers, no. Tonally, this is a grounded Nolan-esque Batman kind of movie, right? Um, the idea that Metropolis exists in this world, I get, I think it's, I hope it is a patient and brave step toward Superman in this world. We were watching Peacemaker last week. And I said when um, Adebayo, yeah? Yeah. Uh, Waller's Adebayo's, yeah. yeah. Adebayo's girlfriend says, let's just move back to Gotham. You know, it was the first time watching a DCEU project where I didn't feel like the world building was forced. Or I didn't feel like, you know, somebody was going to look at the camera and wink at me after they said it. <laughs> you know, but like, you know, let's just go back to Gotham. Let's get the hell out of here. Like that. That so subtle thing that, yeah, Gotham exists where Peacemaker's at right now. To have it in the Batman, I hope it's on a bus, you know, Metropolis. And then the bus drives away and there's no payoff or anything. It's just a, we talk about it all the time in the MCU. And the MCU has gotten to a point where it's so efficient at growing seeds that they plant that it almost feels like in sequence, like a seed gets planted next project is paid off next scene it's paid off things like that that's because they've earned that right to be bold in that storytelling and they keep crushing it 
for the DCEU to plant a small, small seed that Metropolis might exist in the Batman universe, that is how you slowly build to the realistic idea of a Superman, whatever it might be, or even just a daily uh, planet. You know what I mean? Like, like a Superman aspect of life. And uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what to think about this. I got to see the movie first, but it's, it's interesting. That's for sure. I'll straight up say it. I don't want Superman to exist in this world. I like the idea of a gritty grounded Batman. And as soon as you introduce a hero that is OP like Superman, I think it changes everything. Um, but at the same time, I'm not against the idea of planting the seeds that it might exist out there. Man of Steel, one of the best things that movie does is put Wayne Enterprises on a whole bunch. There's a Wayne Enterprise satellite when mm-hmm. Superman and Zod are battling out in outer space. There's Wayne Enterprises trucks going by. Obviously, that led to something down the line, but it wasn't in your face at the time. You're the boss, boss. <laughs> <laughs> like the, but you know what I mean? Like the DCEU wasn't like, oh, like if, if it was like that in 2013, the whales that saved Superman, you would have seen Aquaman calling out in the distance or like, yeah. you know, Jason Momoa's voice or something. It was subtle, you know? So if the Batman wants to imbue this film and this universe with subtlety, I'm all for it. But it's Easter eggs that I hope are never built upon. You know what I mean? Like, I hope we get the idea that, like you said, uh, the Daily Planet. Daily Planet. Daily Planet. The Weekly Planet is the uh, the Australian podcast that covers this kind of stuff. Great yeah. show, by the way. Huge inspiration to everything we do. Um, but yeah, I, I don't hate the idea of planting those seeds, but I just hope they're not acted upon. Almost like in the Batman Arkham games, if I'm not mistaken, there's like an NPC that you can go up to I think it involves like a hush side plot, which is a, no- a graphic novel that is on my radar, by the way. I'm, I'm desperate to get into hush one day. They say something about uh, a caped man in Metropolis. And it's cool because it's like, oh, that's probably Superman. But hey, it's the Batman Arkham world. He doesn't have, he doesn't fit that tone. Sure. As far as like, you hope it's an Easter egg that doesn't get paid off. What about the Robin suit? The ha 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 on it. You know what I mean? Like, that's the ultimate. Oh, oh, sorry. Um, what about the other Robin thing that happened at the end of the Dark Knight? You know, that, like, the the two Robin Easter eggs that didn't get paid off, like, that still stings a little bit. Are we talking about Joseph Gordon-Levitt? Joseph Gordon-Levitt, but also the Ben Affleck one where he walks by the Robin suit that has the Joker writing on it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's cool. Like, I think, I like the way the Dark Knight Rises ended because it capped off a trilogy, and if they wanted to do a Nightwing spinoff or a Robin spinoff, they would have. And I like the idea of like leaving that up for interpretation. What happens next with uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt? Uh, Blake? Blake something? Dick Blake? His Dick name's not Gray? Dick. Grayson? No, he, he wasn't um, Dick Grayson. It was something I like your middle Blake. name. Robin, yeah. Mm. Exactly. I think, I think that's great a fun, <laughs> great line, fun Easter egg, but like we both said kind of here, you don't necessarily have to act upon it. Yeah. Let's close things out with some Star Wars news, some pretty two big pieces of Star Wars news. I know you're a bit passionate about this Andor stuff. We haven't seen a lick of footage. The show isn't here, but neither is the trailer or a TV spot or a poster, yet we're already getting a season two. Matt, what do you make of this news? Too much too soon? It's it's unfortunate in my eyes because we are going to go into Andor season one with even less of a stakes feeling than we already have. Knowing this character dies, we've seen him die. And one of the best, if not the best, deaths in all three universes we cover. 
the Rogue One planet blowing up. Yeah, yeah. It's one of the best, right? So we know this character doesn't go anywhere, right? To now add on the extra layer of not only do we know that this character is five years away from dying, we're getting a whole nother season of stuff before we even get to there, right? So I don't know. I, I feel like it takes away a lot of the suspense of this show right away. Now, what was that suspense going in before this news dropped? I don't know. I don't know what it is. I love this character. Cannot wait to see Deanna Loga get out there and just be a badass again. Um, what's most interesting to me about this series is the time period. This is before the original trilogy. This is where Obi-Wan is going to be taking place. Um, this is a lot closer to the original trilogy than I think Obi-Wan's going to cover because of the age thing that, you know, I was explaining to a friend the other day, like, at some point we need to not apologize for you McGregor not being as old as Alec Guinness was in that first Star Wars movie. You know what I mean? Like it's not as bad as Fassbender though. No, but even then, like uh, that, that that's the exact example I brought up though, Liam. And I think you're going to find this interesting when they bring Magneto into the MCU. There's a lot of people who are weirdly passionate about, well, he needs to be a Holocaust survivor. That's his thing. He needs to be a survivor of the Holocaust because that's so important to his story. If Magneto is a survivor of the Holocaust in the MCU, at minimum, he's like 80 years old. Yeah. There needs to be a point where we just don't do the Holocaust thing anymore. Make him a survivor of a different thing. Genosha. But like, you know, really give, we need to modernize these stories a little bit. And I think that's where Obi-Wan is going to try to bridge the gap between they can't apologize for the casting of Spider of Spider-Man, Star Wars: A New Hope in 1978. They can't apologize for that. You know what I mean? So they need. I I do think that Andor and Obi Wan has a chance to touch a little bit. That's why we haven't seen anything because we got to see Obi Wan first. I think that might be a reason. But for a season two to already be announced before we even get anything of the show, I just feel like we're going into it with a completely different lens than we already were with the with the uh this is a character that's already dead situation yeah it is odd to me too because andor cassian andor is a cool character don't get me wrong but out of all characters in star wars lore the idea of this character being one that they want to milk is kind of interesting to me because also too if i'm not mistaken season one i thought i heard earlier reports that this could be as long as like 12 episodes of a of a season one now, like don't quote me on that i remember hearing so though cool. that it's gonna it's gonna be a longer type show which I'm not against by any means whatsoever, but I also just wonder, you know, is there a story to be told here? And obviously, like, they see value in it. Uh, Diego Luna is less expensive than, like, a Ewan McGregor or a Rosario Dawson. And, you know, I, I don't think that this means uh, bad things for Andor. If anything, it means good things that they have this much faith uh, in doing a season two. Before we get out of here, though, uh, Kenobi, we talked about it a little bit. Kenobi's big bad, potentially. Uh, the Grand Inquisitor, even though we know Darth Vader is going to play a significant role in this series. Matt, I said this to you before we started recording. This is the classic Star Wars animated character that we both know the look of. We both acknowledge looks sick. We don't really know shit about. <laughs> Nothing, man. Still, though, Cad Bane, we were stoked to see him, and we didn't really know too much about him. Grand Inquisitor, I'm happy he's likely going to be in this show. I don't know why. 
<laughs> I think that um, something you can take solace in, Liam, is that they've kind of nailed it so far, bringing in the animated stuff and merging it with the live action stuff in this awesome universal way. Um, I you mentioned Cad Bane. What's really interesting, like I, I'm surprised you were as hype as you were. If I'm being completely honest, because I had ju- like I'm watching Clone Wars for the first time in my life right now, um, and the idea was to watch it before Obi Wan. Um, little did I know, Book of Boba Fett would be very crucial to the Clone Wars situation. Um, but no, I had just met Cad Bane in that show two or three days before that episode of Boba Fett came out, and it ex- exponentially increased my hype for that character and what it had going on. So um, as far as this character, uh, the Grand Inquisitor, awesome name, right? Awesome look, um, dope lightsaber, a Sith Lord, or at least a Night Sister or something like that, right? I think that um, announcing it this early, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of hoping they market him a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I kind of hope this is a big bad that they market and get people to do that thing that you were excited about with, um, oh, what was it? Moon Knight. You know, what What do I need to read? What do I need to watch? Nice. What do I need to know about this character? You know what I mean? Sell it. Sell the rest of your universe because you're kind of crushing it right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. Uh, these type of characters too, in terms of why we get excited, I do feel uh, some jealousy for fans of like the Clone Wars and Rebels Absolutely. because like you mentioned, the weird memory I have with Cad Bane, it like, it took me back, right? It took me back to being a kid and seeing this character for the first time. And now here we are, what, 12, 13 years later and seeing him in live action, it's cool. It's stuff like this makes me want to be more of a comic reader because I want to meet characters for the first time on the page so that when they do show up in live action, I'm like, let's freaking go. This type of stuff makes me want to watch Rebels and Clone Wars because not because I want to catch up on characters that we know are showing up, but because I want to meet characters that we don't know are showing up so that when they do, that shock and surprise also resurrects like a fond memory. You know what I mean? I cannot wait for you to meet Ahsoka, man. I know we've had friends telling us that for years. I'm on that train now. I'm a part of the cult. Put me in. I cannot wait for you to meet Ahsoka. It's going to be great. Real quick. Uh, because You're going to love this, her. I'm, I'm very excited. I like, I am over the moon excited. I know she's a dope character. And I also, I, I've seen the screen grabs of her where she starts versus her where she finishes. And I know there's just years and years of lore in between getting to A to Z. Question I want to ask you though, because this is just, it sparked something cool in my mind. What's a character that you've read in comics that we've never seen in the MCU before that you're like jazzed when we finally do get them? It's a great question, Liam. Um, that's a really good question. Wolverine's the cop-out answer, I think here. Obviously, um, I'm very excited. I'm looking at my comics right now. Um, at least the ones I have over here. Um, it's it's for me. Thinking, I think I'm gonna go with Electra. Electra's nice. really cool. Electra's got a cool vibe. I loved her in the Daredevil series on Netflix. I don't know why people have a problem with that character in that show. I thought she was awesome. Can't wait to see what the MCU does with her. But then, but hey, that comes back to the whole Daredevil continuity thing. Is Electra off the table? She had a whole season arc. Ugh. Very true. I got three <laughs> just looking Can't at wait. my comics as well. Um, Red Hood. I freaking yeah. love Red Hood. And I know he's been in Titans, but I'm talking about like DC proper. I'd love to see a Red Hood story told in a future Battinson movie. Um, the Marvel one, Namor. Uh, Namor, I haven't read too many specific Namor runs, but he's popped up in a lot of graphic novels I've read. 
It's just made exactly. me like, fall in love with the character. And oh, I can't wait for Black Panther. The final one, here's a very specific and niche one from this Superman, Batman, Public Enemies uh, run. It's a, it's a whole series of graphic novels. Um, I believe the it's encompassed as, what's the name for it? Oh my God, uh, Public Enemies. Um, but there's also, I mentioned it in our Twitter group the other day. And I'm going to keep rambling on until I think of it. World's Finest. World's, World's Finest. Finest. World's Finest. It's a long series, uh, what have you. But this specific run kicks off with, you know, an opening mission, per se. Uh, and Superman battles Metallo. Metallo, you know, yes. the guy with the kryptonite heart and yes. everything. Very cool. Like, cybernetic and his face mm-hmm. is peeling off. I remember reading that. That's one of the oldest graphic novels i have from my childhood that i still have which is really cool um, i'm glad I, I still have possession of it but metal is such a cool looking character and if and when he ever shows up in the dceu i will lose my mind and it it's weird though because it's like marvel characters i have a lot more faith that they will show up versus dc it's like we don't know what's going on but still you know you never that, thought you get peacemaker that's that's true <laughs> that is very true and we never thought, I know a lot of Clone Wars fans thought they'd never see the Grand Inquisitor in live action, but here he is. Another character we thought we'd never see uh, back once again is Boba Fett. You know, we never thought we'd get Boba Fett. Mandalorian season gets announced. We're like, ah, oh, was the jingles him in season one? He shows up in season two. He gets a spinoff series that we're six chapters into and has done a complete 180 in terms of our enjoyment. And we have reached the end of the road. It's chapter seven of the book of Boba Fett. I can't wait to talk about it. Let's get into it. Ladies and gentlemen, the book of Boba Fett's final chapter has come to a close. I kind of love how that works out. Um, We just experienced our third season of Star Wars Disney Plus live action television, um, animated a Bad Batch um, excluded and boy what a ride it was what happened in this show what happened in this finale what happened in the future Leanne there's so much to cover and also not a lot to cover all at the same time and so we brought in some big guns we brought in some more Star Wars experts than we are you know so ladies and gentlemen friend of the show uh, Star Wars writer over there on the direct.com amongst all the other branches you cover the queen of Disney parks Savannah Sanders Savannah Great to be here. I'm so glad to join you guys and talk about this very interesting episode of Star Wars. I love that you used the word interesting off the top <laughs> because I am not sure how this is going to play out across <laughs> the board here. And uh, it's going to be really interesting. I got a feeling we're really upsetting with it. But um, Savannah, I guess I want to go to you first. Overall thoughts on the Boba Fett. I guess what are your quick thoughts on the show? up to this point and then your overall thoughts on the finale spoiler free of course yeah um the show has been i feel like two shows i think a lot of fans would agree with that we kind of had one storyline kind of slowly moving forward things changed and then um things kind of came together i think in the finale in some ways some other ways not so much um there's been a lot to appreciate but there's also been some to critique but um, overall, I enjoyed the finale, but I do have some issues with it. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting now to kind of look back on not only the finale, but the show as a whole to kind of see what they have planned moving forward, because we have a lot of Star Wars to come this year and next year. Yeah, it's, it's um, 
this is going to be an interesting entry on one of the busiest years Star Wars has had in a very long time, if not the busiest. Liam, I'm not 100% sure on the numbers, but we're getting at least three Star Wars projects this year, so uh, if you include this one. So it's probably one of the busiest. Liam, the finale to a show that um, has been tough um, and great and, and not a lot of in-between, right? Mm-hmm. So, Liam, what do, we, what do we think about the finale here of Book of Boba Fett? I, I don't want to say I'm shocked by the social reactions because I was reading my Twitter timeline and seeing a lot of people not having great things to say about this finale. I feel like I enjoyed it more than most people. And it's weird, right? Because I feel like a lot of people had these grand expectations going in. I put out a tweet, drop your bold uh, Boba Fett uh, finale spoiler predictions. And a lot of people had gifs of various different characters that they expected to show up. Not many of those characters actually did come into play. But I anticipated this finale as we're going back to the book of Boba Fett. We kind of went on a two-week side quest with Mandalorian and Luke Skywalker and Ahsoka, and it was great, right? But we know that the final episode of a series called The Book of Boba Fett is probably going to be about Boba Fett. So I went in with the expectations of, well, Boba Fett's story for me overall has been nothing to write home about, so my expectations are pretty low. And to be honest, this episode redeemed Boba Fett pretty highly for me. Not completely, but pretty highly. And same with Fennec Shand. I've never been a big fan of Fennec Shand. And I thought she had multiple scenes in this episode that I think are some of the greatest Star Wars TV action we've seen so far. So I I have mixed emotions on this finale. I think it was a solid final chapter. I understand all the criticisms people have with it. But being a Book of Boba Fett finale rather than a threequel to the past two episodes we got, I think it hit uh, a home run. Well, um, I didn't think I'd be in this spot, but I, I don't have mixed feelings. I, I have a, uh, one very strong feeling, and it's disappointed for me personally. I, I was not a fan of what happened here in the finale. Um, and that's an interesting thing to say because – the majority of this finale was action-based and I liked a lot of the action. There was a lot of really awesome star Wars stuff going on, but I feel like for the first time in a long time, star Wars had so many pieces on the table, so many players on the field, and there were so many different ways they can go with each one of them. And going into, as I was going to bed last night, I was thinking, how are they going to touch every single one of the players they have on the field right now and send them off in an appropriate way. They're probably not going to hit all of them. So we're probably going to feel a little left out on a couple. They ended up, you know, really going after every single character here, but I really feel like I only got like 25% of a resolution across the board. And it was just kind of disheartening that this was so much more of a fun action romp um than anything that i expected as far as where these characters were going and it it was just for me personally i i don't love how they wrapped everything up boba wise and as far as where we're going for the future i'm not that excited about it and we'll get into why because we can't really talk about this without talking about spoiler 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 Doing that in front of a third person with a don't do it is incredibly awkward. <laughs> but Savannah, um, <laughs> let's get into the spoilers here. Book of Boba Fett, chapter seven. Um, what was the title again? Tell me. Oh, on a something. In the name of honor. I in the think. name of name honor. Of that sounds honor. great. Yeah. Yes, that's exact. When Mando said that in the show, I was like, yo, that was a great line. Excellent, excellent work there. 
I guess we start with um, overall just the Pike Mos Eisley war happening here, right? So a lot of military and pieces at play. We have truce. We have reinforcements coming, but we're not sure if they're coming or not. There's a negotiation scene up front. Savannah, what did you think of just the overall kind of beginning of this war between the Pikes and Boba's squad here? Um, you know, didn't start off well for our team. And then, you know, there were peaks and valleys of how it went after that. How do we think they executed the war part of this entire episode? I think they executed better than I anticipated. Um, I had expected that we wouldn't even see this war in the finale because I feel like leading up to it, we had heard about the Pikes. We really hadn't seen how much of a threat they were. Um, I felt like Boba's squad had been very small. I'm like, this can't really, this could be like a small battle, but this isn't really a war as it's been hyped up to be. And so I thought maybe we wouldn't see it. Um, or if we did, it really wouldn't deliver. Um, granted, I'm not totally thrilled with it completely, but it went better than I expected. At least they kind of presented that like Boba Fett and Mando and their group, they, um, it was more of a struggle for them than I kind of thought it was going to be. Um, so yeah, they, they did a pretty good job in a short period of time of kind of making the Pikes a threat. And I didn't think they were going to be able to do that. Yeah, it really came in as a volume threat, which, you know, that's kind of how they played it up. You know, they got numbers. We're not going to be able to handle their numbers. They're gathering their forces, all that stuff. I think that was executed well and just kind of the waves of pikes that kept coming in and then they bring in the big guns. Liam, um, a lot of action, a uh, lot, well, a lot of political conversations going on at first before the action really gets started. And then we get our first standoff between Cad Bane and Boba Fett, uh, you know, that conversation, that relationship based on that conversation, as someone who who hasn't seen the Clone Wars series and doesn't know the backstory of Cad Bane or his relationship with Boba Fett, I don't either. Um, you know, how did you feel they handled that first conversation between the two? I think it was a, a great setup for what would eventually be the final standoff between the yeah. two, because you have to establish, you know, that your audience is not going to all have uh, Clone Wars or Rebels knowledge going in and establishing Cad Bane as someone who is going to negotiate but also like not show any type of fear or hesitation or even show the the hand he's playing with I thought was awesome um we'll talk more about Cad Bane at, as we continue with this this review but the introduction the reintroduction if you will or the establishment of him with our title character I thought was satisfactory for sure and uh continues to be such a cool looking character right like scary scary kind of guy you kind of see how slender he is in this one a little bit more i feel like you know his his agility was shown off here which i thought was really cool it's weird because it's not that it was broad daylight this episode because it was last week but last week it was the sands right making it all mm -hmm. kind of hazy this was the most like clear it wasn't a silhouette it was cad bane in the flesh with no type of weird like clouds making it uh difficult to see i do want to point out when he was talking to the pikes he did like a Kristen stewart kind of smirk where he just kind of puts his mouth off to the side to, you know and i'm like <laughs> he's got a lot of emotion in that tidy itty bitty little mouth that you know? <laughs> for, for a person with very tiny lips a lot of expression coming out of that part of his face <laughs> which i thought was really strange choice but again cad bang kills it visually his voice was awesome so man that's the guy who voices him in the clone wars right yeah, Corey Burton. Yeah. Yeah. Crushed it as far as just the delivery of his 
presence. You know, I thought that was very Absolutely. cool. And off a lot of bounty hunter uh, conversation happening a lot. Like when uh, Chris Anton and Boba met for the first time earlier this season, just like, Hey man, I can get it. You know, that kind of thing. So the respect between bounty hunters, I dug um, for me, just like the political setup. I, I like how quickly it happened. Cause we got right to the war. We got right to the fight kind of right after that. And that was really cool. The coolest thing I think about Cad Bane's kind of entrance into this show, other than his conversation with the Pikes, Phoenix Shan just goes through the entire thing. We got this corner covered. We got this corner covered. We have the entrance to the planet covered. We're going to be fine. Nobody's going to sneak up on us, sir. Uh, somebody's at the front door. What? <laughs> like, like, how did that happen? And Boba even says, like, I thought nobody could sneak up on us. I'm like, that's my guy. That's that's the blue cowboy everybody's talking about. That was awesome. Um, Mando's in this whole episode, which I really appreciate. And his, um, you know, just him being on screen as a true supporting character throughout this episode, I think is an awesome establishment of the Star Wars universe a little bit. You know, like obviously he had his moments, but he was definitely the two to Boba's one throughout this episode, which I thought was cool. The conversations between Mando and Boba here, I think is really interesting. You have this uh, Mandalorian traditionalist, this religious Mandalorian guy and kind of the prototype Mandalorian and Boba Fett. Savannah, what do we think of the relationship between the two Mandos here, Boba and Din Djarin? That was kind of a highlight for me. I really like seeing those two characters working together. Um, I think we're going to see more of that, um, or I hope we do anyway, but I think it works really well. And I think Boba is going to play a really good role in kind of Mando's um, arc moving forward. But yeah, those two together and like that scene when they're like with their, with their jetpacks kind of like oh, coming into battle. I thought that was awesome. Let's see. Liam, rocket launcher on the knee. Go. Oh, man. Oh, awesome, man. Right? What, what a cool <laughs> moment, too. And I also appreciated that uh, one of my criticisms with uh, early episodes of Boba Fett was you could tell when Tamara Morrison was doing the stunts because like he's a great actor and that there's nothing like bad to say, but the reality is he's older. So he moves a little bit slower, clearly having a body double in there and allowing Boba Fett to move around on par with the Mandalorian, you know, Din Djarin, who is younger in Canon was so much more appreciated. And the, the, the knee little twist he gave there, I was like, ah, this is so innovative. This is like, this is the type of star Wars action. That's like, modernized which i really dig i love how uh we see it a lot with the scores right we hear uh traditional star wars music but then we mix in some modern hip-hop like ludwig is known to do that especially in the post-credit scene we kind of got that vibe with the action specifically now we see traditional star wars action but we also see some more like crossfit stuff stuff that's more modern and i really dig that yeah i i do too um i thought it was really awesome so the first quarter of this episode, I think, was moving at a good pace, a good clip. Like, you know, we got the we got the negotiations out of the way. We started the fight. The fight went on the entire episode, something I wasn't expecting, something I was expecting maybe even least was how excited I was for Baby Yo, you know, little Baby Yoda to be sitting front seat in an X-Wing. I mean, just sitting there like he's at a little Star Wars convention and, you know, he gets to sit in the X-Wing for the first time and it's really exciting. Uh, Baby Yoda enters the scene, man, and uh, brought on by Amy Saris, I think's her name. I forget the character's name. P- Pilo? Pilo? It's um, Peli- Pelimoto. Pelimoto. Great name. Um, so, you know, we got the Grogu Mando reunion in the middle of this fight we're going to get into our favorite action scenes a little later but the the grogu mando reunion you know we got a hug 
we got a little snuggle, you know, we got a nice cute conversation on the back of a speeder. Um, Savannah, was this the, was this moment as hype as you expected it to be with the idea of Mando and Grogu possibly reconnecting um, at some point? I don't know. I'm still kind of processing that. Like mm-hmm. it was sweet. I mean, it, it, it did pay off kind of what had been set up, but I didn't really anticipate it playing out that way if that makes sense I don't know there is something that didn't quite deliver for me fully Uh, I'm not quite sure what that is yet I don't know if it had to do with like the whole like uh, cliffhanger in episode six with Luke like maybe I wanted something else or I wanted some more time um, between that scene than what we got today so I'm not unhappy with it but something was missing and I take a guess at what was a little off about it. Maybe it was this sweet, endearing, slow, emotional conversation between a father and son on the back of a very fast-moving speeder being chased by a robot spider. Liam, uh, an emotional moment in the middle of a battle, one of my pet peeves. What did you think of you know just bringing these two back together? Not only how they did it, but you know, do you feel like the pacing overall between the last two episodes, the end of season two, and all this, you think it really built up, built up to this kind of moment? It was very odd. And I look back at it and I try to think of how you could have done it differently. And I think almost like forcing an emotional moment into a high stakes action scene yeah, is maybe like, I don't know if it's the best, it's not that it's the best way, but I don't know if the whole buildup of like, you know, Grogu sees Mando and they stare at each other across a field and they run together and they embrace like, we, we were never going to get that. And if we did, it might've been cheesy. So I think kind of like, forcing it into like oh my god kid great to see you but like we're in the middle of a situation right now and then Grogu not even caring and like force leaping up to hug him I thought that was sweet um it did leave a little bit to be desired but at the same time um I think kind of forcing it into an action scene kind of avoided the the risk of doing this big grand reunion moment down the line one thing I will say that did bother me was the reveal of like he's under the blanket that whole time and then at one point she's just like oh guess who's here like that what (laughs) you know I I would have liked to have seen him force himself out of the blanket and be like I'm I'm excited to see you rather than him being like all right whenever you're ready and then she like opens the blanket and he's like hey I'm here I minor pet peeve but still I don't think it's minor, Liam. I really don't. The blocking, you know, I'm yeah, the <laughs> blocking soldier, <laughs> talking winter soldier reviews. Man, that was a long time ago. <laughs> no, but like I think I have a serious complaint, you know, a legitimate complaint here with the blocking. He's hanging off the back of that speeder. Mm-hmm. So when she reveals Grogu's under the blanket, he's like gotta peek his head up a little bit. I'm like, wait, what? Oh my god. Like it was just an awkward way to have them have that conversation. And then Grogu jumps on him. And it's almost like Mando gave him a hug. I thought you were hanging off the back of this speeder. How are you hanging on there? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was, I, I think, putting that moment in the middle of an action scene, a goofy action scene at that, which is fine. That's Star Wars. But I saw it was a little watered down. And then, you know, one of my bigger complaints, it's hard to complain about Baby Yoda, going to be honest. It's it's really tough to do. You know what I mean? It's like yelling at your dog. And then, like, he gives you those eyes. You're like... See, now I'm not even bad at you. I just feel bad for yelling at you. Um, His entrance into this episode, cute, sitting in the uh, front seat of the X-Wing. His reunion with Mando, more cute than emotional. So count that as cute, right? So I think that's something to think about, too. It was more cute than it was emotional, which I thought maybe 
Maybe we all wanted it to be a little bit more emotional. And then his two big moments, we knew he was going to do the force thing at some point. That's kind of what Baby Yoda does. People forget he force chokes somebody in season one. Like, that's something we do not talk about nearly enough. <laughs> um, uh, but Luke force choked somebody in Revenge of the Sith, too, which was pretty cool. Um, anyway, he did the force thing and took down the spider. And then he did the force thing again and took down the Rancor. I just feel like doing that twice was a little bit of a, you know, okay, we're just we're just trying to get Baby Yoda holding his hand up. You know what I mean? Like, we're trying to get the aw out of it, right? Savannah, Grogu in action here. Two very similar save-the-day moments, I think. Um, is that kind of what you were expecting? Especially knowing he picked Mando over Jedi. Were, were we looking for something a little different out of Grogu in action here? Which is so weird to say, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I I honestly I didn't love um I didn't love how he was handled in this episode. I yeah, the two like from season one, the magic hand thing as they called it, doing it back to back. We've seen it before and then we saw it twice in the same episode and that's really besides reuniting with Mando that's all they really kind of got from them so yeah I wasn't I wasn't thrilled with it um I wanted something I don't quite know what that is right. um but, but yeah I I felt like it was repetitive and it was it was kind of like we've been talking about it's kind of too cute they it's like they was aware of what the audience wanted like the audience loves whenever he does something like that so let's give it to you twice in one episode so I, I didn't like it I didn't love it yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Liam, uh, Grogu's kind of usage in this episode, Savannah put that really well, like how he was used. Do we feel like his his piece on the board, do you feel like it added to what was going on from an action and story standpoint? Or do you think maybe it was more of a distraction than not? That's a leading I'm, question. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm kind of concerned overall for Grogu's narrative going forward now since I think about it, because the two options on the board were, you know, the emotional decision of like, go back to Mando and like, oh, that's great. And we all pop because they finally reunite or stay and train to be a Jedi, which would further his character. I feel like we might've just taken a giant step back. And it's weird because, you know, I'm still looking at the episode with rose tinted glasses. I'm glad that we got to see uh, Din and Grogu have that moment together, but at what cost you know what i mean in terms of the long run like where does grogu go from here yeah uh, we don't trade lives captain and we don't trade story narrative either <laughs> and i think i think that's something we need to remember um before i kind of go in on the last part of baby yo and mando here um i'm starting calling him baby yo by the way i listened to my mom's basement uh the other day mm -hmm. shout out claim um i do want to shout out the cuddling between the rancor and baby yoda there at the end like, has anybody ever had, like, a big dog and a cat? Like, you know what I mean? Like, those videos on the internet are always pretty fun. I feel like that's what we got there. The The show kind of ends for Mando and Baby Yoda as them riding off in the distance. And we see him in the little bubble seat in the back, which is great. It's an awesome visual. I love it. The concept art's probably in the, uh, the credits. Sick, right? Is anyone going to watch the finale of season two? the same way ever again you know what i mean they they have this incredible emotional father-son breakup because mando knows this is what's best for baby yoda i need to send him off to live his life the way it was meant to be it's too dangerous to roll with me i need to send yoda off and who is he sending him off to 
Luke Skywalker. So we're all excited about where he's going, right? That happens at the end of season two. Two episodes in the middle of Book of Boba Fett starring Mando, we get all the way back to two and a half, I guess, two and a half episodes. We get all the way back to they're just together again, doing adventures. And and my issue with that is I, it's, I, I don't necessarily have an issue with them reuniting them so quickly. It's reuniting them really without a purpose other than they missed each other. You know what I mean? Like they're really like we don't know what them being together means moving forward. I had a buddy was telling me 30 minutes ago, we talked for like five minutes before we hopped on these mics. He was like, what if they're the Jedi Mando, you know, piece it together situation? Cause that's a big deal. Mandalorians and Jedi. But the fact that we don't know that they're just out on adventures again. And I feel like it totally like Liam said, takes a step back from where we were at the end of season two, not just these last two episodes, season two of Mandalorian, one of our favorite star Wars things. Savannah, the fact that Grogu and Mando are, in my opinion, back to square one as far as like their relationship and how they're going to be handled moving forward. They are, they are again a duo. Are we excited about that? Are we bummed about that? Where, where do you stand with them essentially being back together? Yeah, I'm kind of bummed about it. Um, I think it was one of my major complaints with the episode. Um, I like what you brought up about never watching the season two finale of Mandalorian again. That was like my favorite Star Wars moment in decades, probably up until last week's episode of Boba Fett. Sure. Um, but yeah, like now if I go back and watch that, it's not going to hit the same way again. I actually kind of feel like what happened today may have diminished that episode. Um, so I'm a little upset about that. And then, yeah, I really thought that the finale today would really set up Mando season three. Uh, and there was all the pieces there I felt like to do that. And instead, just them kind of flying off to who knows where with just a cute little moment with Baby Yoda, which was great. It did pay off uh, what was set up earlier. But, but yeah, it made me actually kind of less excited for what's coming next. So I feel like it hurt the past and I felt like it kind of hurt the future a little bit. So yeah, one of my major complaints for sure. I'm right there with you. I'm right there with, I, I, I don't have anything to add because that's exactly how I feel. They somehow whiffed on that part for me. Liam, how do we feel about the setup for Mando moving forward? We, we had this Mandalore set up in episode five. We have the Darksaber. We have whatever his relationship with Bo-Katan. Like, that's a whole thing. That I'm, I'm glad it wasn't touched here, but it's something we have to deal with. And Baby Yoda's a part of it moving forward. How do we feel about that? I am concerned. I don't want to, it wasn't jarring enough for me to like relate it to the sequel trilogy, but the reason why the sequel trilogy didn't work is because each director was given complete freedom to execute their vision. Like JJ Abrams set up stuff in force awakens that Ryan Johnson took in a different direction. And whether you like that different direction or not, you can still agree that it doesn't feel like continuity per se, because of how jarring the shift was i'm concerned that whatever john favreau wants to do with season three i hope robert rodriguez didn't take liberties in this episode i hope he wasn't given the freedom to say oh okay we want to bring baby yoda in for a scene so they're going to reunite and then when john favreau goes to which they're already filming mando season three right now but in terms of building off of this script does he have to work with different variables than he anticipated? Like we know that these creators, we've seen the round tables on Disney plus. It seems like Bryce Dallas Howard 
John Favreau, Dave Filoni, Robert Rodriguez, Peyton Reed, all the directors that work on these Disney Plus Star Wars shows are on the same wavelength. So I'm willing to bet that there was cooperation here. But because I'm still scarred from how the tri- the sequel trilogy executed stuff, there's reason to believe that we might be dealing with too many cooks in the kitchen. And I, I don't want to say that too too soon because we haven't seen Mandalorian season three yet and it could be great. But I do think there there is reason to proceed with caution. I do want to add one more thing to your sequel trilogy thought. Abram started something. Johnson went a different way. And then Abrams went back. <laughs> like like they hit you with the double slap. <laughs> Rise of Skywalker was made by committee. That was that should have been Colin Trevorrow's film. JJ Abrams' escape code. I don't even want to consider Rise of Skywalker in terms of the direction. I don't think JJ Abrams went back to what he wanted to do. I think they were like, oh, people enjoyed your movie more. So here, just go back and do whatever. And he's like, you know, scapegoat situation. Story for another. They can fly now. They can fly now. Um <laughs> so I, I guess before we move on to Boba Fett, which we need to, my question to you, Savannah, you, you are the Star Wars junkie here on this panel. You watched everything and you know, you know, all these characters for people who don't watch book of Boba Fett, which I feel like there's going to be a decent amount because of how slow it started, at least from a reception standpoint, right? For people who don't watch book of Boba Fett and then start Mandalorian season three with Grogu there. How do you think that's going to go? That's a good question. Yeah, that's going to be strange. Yeah, I feel like it's pretty jarring. Yeah, absolutely. It's almost going to be like Boba Fett is required viewing. But when people go and try to actually get all the way through it, yeah, that's a problem. I think that's definitely a problem. I think so too. I, I really think that that was an overall decision that may have been fumbled because you know, we say it all the time, Liam, like, yes, the precedent should be watch everything and you'll get the whole story. But I think the minimum you have to assume that not everybody's going to watch everything. Now we've just undone the last part of Mando two going into Mando three. Um, Liam, let's go with Boba Fett really quick. Um, which, you know, just saying that Boba Fett really quick, <laughs> that kind of sucks because there's really not a ton to cover here, guys. It's it's the the samurai story of learning how to not become a non-bounty hunter throughout the first four episodes. I think was done really well. It wasn't nearly as exciting as the other stuff, but I liked the whole evolution of him emotionally wanting to, you know, do the crime boss thing the right way, do it a safe way, stop being a cold-blooded killer. We have that final standoff with Cad Bane, Liam, a lot of awesome conversation, vision on vision vibes for a hot second. And then we get a nice little battle here with another rocket, uh, knee rocket being introduced. What do we think here of just kind of how Boba and Cad came together here at the end and then how it ended? I'm a big fan of this final standoff. I hope that Cad Bane is not dead. I know a lot of people on socials are saying uh, the heartbeat monitor is something to look out for and the fact that it kept beeping indicates that he might still be resurrected down the line. But the more I think about it, at first I was disappointed because it's like, oh my God, like if I'm going to have one of these two characters die, I'd rather Boba Fett because Cad Bane is 10 times more interesting right now. But the execution and the storytelling too, the subtle storytelling of Boba can't beat Cad Bane at the Bounty Hunter stuff. He can't. Cad Bane is, is second to none. But what he can do is flesh out those skills that we saw in early chapters like this 
was a finale moment. Like this was stuff that was set up in early episodes. We were wondering what, what's the point of those flashbacks other than the fact that it's cool to see Tusken Raiders and Boba's immediate life after getting out of the Sarlacc, right? The fact that that uh, Tusken Raider like staff is what is able to take down Cad Bane who has eyes on the back of his head practically, I thought was fantastic. And I hope he's not dead. If he is dead, it kind of sours the moment a little bit more for me. But the idea that he was able to best him with a move that Cad Bane rode off to. He said many times about like, you know, you, oh, you're playing with your Tusken Raiders, like and all that, like, like you don't even know what went down. You're too blind to see that like it was my boys who actually took them out um, and not what you originally thought. The fact that he underestimated that and then Boba used that to his advantage. I thought that was great storytelling. It, it's like, that's why I love pro wrestling, right? It's because the fights in pro wrestling have stories behind them in certain moves that are used. And using this particular weapon, sneak attacking him, told an entire story. And you could see the moments from the early chapters. And I thought that was uh, fantastic. One of the better moments from this episode for me. Shawn Michaels using a figure four on Rick flair right yes um, yeah crushed i crushed that one um <laughs> savannah um the conversation that they have here you know i i thought a really awesome moment for me was when cad looked at him and said what's your angle you know why are you doing this like like cad and boba know each other very well they've worked for the same people oftentimes fighting against the same people um primarily a jedi <laughs> um uh he said what's your angle i thought that was a really awesome like i request elaboration kind of moment um, from WandaVision. Um, man, I want to really watch that show. Um, but, you know, what do we think of, like, the, you know, basically the character development we got from Boba here just talking to Cad Bane before the final blow? Yeah, I thought it was fantastic. I really liked the sequence. Um, I agree with Liam completely. Like, that was good storytelling. You paid off what you set up in the beginning. And, um, and yeah, that whole exchange between the two was really the completion of Boba's arc. So I love that from like a screenwriting aspect. Um, one thing just from watching like the Clone Wars and things like that, Clone Wars fans know there was to be a battle between those two that never got put into the show. And there is more history with those two. And the whole um, mythology is that something happened between them. And then Boba Fett became the top bounty hunter during the empire. And we don't know what happened to Cad Bane until he showed up last episode. I wish we would have kind of known their first standoff and what went on. I thought that was lacking a little bit because there's something there that we didn't really kind of get flushed out. And if Cad Bane is dead, we may never really know kind of how Boba became the top bounty hunter at that time period. So I, I loved it for the show, how it worked. But for Cad Bane and Boba Fett's story, I still feel like there are some missing pieces. And, um, and I too really hope Cad Bane isn't dead because like we need more of that for sure. But the fact that Boba did beat him using what he had learned with the Tuscans, perfect. Very happy with that. I think so too. That's the payoff we've all kind of been looking for, right? Uh, my theory as to how Boba got the top bounty hunter gig is that he was dating the singer in Jabba's palace. You know, they were hooking up, so maybe like that's his in. He's and and she's like, Hey, job, I know a guy, you know. I think that could be a pretty cool story that we get with like a little Seinfeld beat behind it. That could um, have been a flashback, that would have been an interesting flashback for the show, 100%. Yeah, we never really got a flashback to uh, that, that'd be a flash forward, actually. What, wait, oh, that's true. no, flashback, you're right. Um, 
these timelines i'm watching too much star wars at the same time that's the problem i'm having you know what i mean i'm all over the place i learned what bby was yesterday <laughs> now i know it's 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 the yevin yavin whatever um i have some complaints about this final moment between cat and boba i agree with everything you guys said the storytelling with the tuscan stuff the little tuscan theme that they put in there right as he like uses the thing super subtle liam like it was almost like undertone which i really dig um what I didn't love here was the entire idea of Boba Fett's arc here was becoming more than a bounty hunter. I'm not just, and Cad Bane says it a couple of times, I'm more than a cold-blooded killer. And, and um, I think that at the end of the day, killing Cad Bane with the staff from the Tuscans that kind of taught him how to be more than a cold-blooded killer, I thought that was a little odd. I know he still might not be dead, but I... Another point that I don't love here is all the fake, the fake deaths, the the fake outs with the deaths. Like Rise of Skywalker had 147 of those. Chewbacca and died eight times in that movie. I timed it last time I watched it, Liam. I'm not. I I shouldn't say that. I didn't watch it. I watched the scene where Chewbacca died seven minutes before he's back to life. C3PO two minutes. Leia, uh, not Leia. Ray 30 seconds. <laughs> That's a bad timing, I think, in my opinion. <laughs> but um, the fake out deaths, I don't love because we're, ex- you know, the fact that Boba beat Cad, you know, that's a cool moment, but he didn't really beat him. And that brings us to the post credit scene for me. Uh, again, it's just weird. Boba says to Finnick after they win and after he is like respected across the city, he's gotten what he wanted, total control. No, no hardcore crime happening. He's still there to police things. And then he looks at Finn and he goes, you know, we're just really not cut out for this stuff. What? What was the whole, what was the, whole, you didn't know that as you were fighting this war and just not letting these people live how they've been living. And so that part kind of bothered me, but then you get the whole gang back together, which, you know, ah, the mods going around with black or Santa, and you a little noogie every now and again. <laughs> <laughs> and then we, uh, just the greatest credit sequences in the history of film or television, right? The concept art being the credit, the credits, never not cool. And then we get the Bakta tank and the DJ known as. Oh boy. Thundercat. Does that sound right? I think it's Thundercat. It does sound right. Awesome. I'm not sure though, but we'll go with it. So hip. I'm so hip. Um, We get the Bakta tank. We get the mod guy, which is so cool. And we see Cobb Vanth in there, which is really awesome because we get to see him back later. I think that's a character that we all absolutely loved in the short amount of time we got. So I guess we'll start there. Savannah, Cobb Vanth, Timothy Oliphant, and that hair is back. How excited are we to see the future of the Marshall here in uh, the Star Wars universe? Oh, I'm very happy about that. I really expected him to come back in the episode at some point or at least address that he wasn't dead. Mm-hmm. I think we all knew that. Um, so I, I was afraid whenever the credits rolled, I'm like, they're really going to leave us hanging with Cobb Vance. But then they snuck it in at the end. So that made me happy. And uh, yeah, I want, I want more of him in Mando season three. Like, let's make him like one of the main supporting characters. I think that'd be fantastic. I think so too. I think give him a show. You know yeah, what I mean? Rangers of the too. New Rangers of the New Republic starring Cobb Vanth, I think is something I can get behind. He's never mm-hmm. flown anything, but you know, whatever. Um, he's just an un- unbelievably good looking human being. 
that Timothy Oliphant. Like, you know, he is the silver fox. Liam, uh, we got the Marshall back. Uh, where do we kind of see this going for him as a character? As a for, yeah, as for uh, where he shows up next, uh, I expect it to be Mandalorian season three. Um, but one thing I kind of wanted to address is I was trying to piece together here because this uh, post-credit scene let me down in the sense of all of our speculation as to what the post-credit scene could be. A lot of people were saying, you know, Mace Windu is the one who saved Grogu um, during the uh, Order 66 or, you know, a young Ben Solo getting dropped off at Luke's Jedi Temple. And this being the post-credit scene, you know, cool to know that Cobb Vanth is still alive, but the fact that he got shot in the shoulder, no one on Twitter last week was saying, oh, he's dead. Everyone was like, oh, he got shot once in the shoulder, he'll be back. I'm thinking back to just live action Disney Plus shows. I don't think we've had a good post-credit scene on Disney Plus since WandaVision. I mean, think about it, right? Hawkeye was the musical. No one really cared for that. Loki was just the season two announcement. There was no post-credit scene. Even I'll admit Falcon Winter Soldier, the two post-credit scenes were John Walker making his new shield, which I thought was a cool teaser for the finale. And then Sharon Carter uh, speaking to Congress and whatever which a lot of people were like, you know, just reaffirming what we already know. She's bad news. The scroll in WandaVision mixed with her reading the Darkhold is kind of the only good one we've gotten on Disney Plus so far, except for, uh, did we get anything in Mandalorian season two? Book of Boba Fett. Book of Boba Fett announcement. That was dope. So it's like, (laughs) but still, it's been like a year. It's been a while since we've gotten a post-credit scene that's made us like jump out of our seats like those two did. So who knows? Here, here's hoping Moon Knight can can save us with I and I think there's going to be some great stuff in Moon Knight, Midnight Suns. Kid Harrington, like, I think like it's going to be debuts in Moon Knight. I, I think we'll see. Anyways, either one of them conversation for another for. time. <laughs> either one to be down for. Um, the thing about this post credit scene, I'm hyped that Cobb Vanth is back. I'm hyped he's in the boxer tank. I like that he's getting a mod. You know, adds another wrinkle to this incredibly interesting, charismatic character. Star Wars universe, charismatic characters are few and far between. You know what I'm saying? So you really need to embrace the ones that you have. We killed off Cad Bane unofficially. And so we need to bring one charismatic character back. Here's my issue with this post credit scene, guys. Like you said, Liam, nobody thought that Cobb Vance is really dead. You know, nobody was sure anyway. You know what I mean? It wasn't like Jon Snow at the end of season three or four or whatever. Like, like there wasn't that kind of feeling to it. So I thought that this was an awesome opportunity to, uh, well, you got to hop in the boxer tank. It's being used. So I was running through my head. Who's in the boxer tank? Is it Black or Santa? Because that probably would have played because that guy got his ass kicked in this show, dude. Um, dope character, though. Um, I thought it was Black or Santa, and then he shows up on screen. So it's not him. Cool. My first thought was Cat Bane. You know, I'm more than a cold blooded killer. So stabs him throws him right in the box of tank almost like a wink wink nudge nudge like you thought i just killed the guy no 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 i'm better than that remember remember all this character progression i'm a new boba fett so i threw him in the box of tank to save his life even though he's a horrible human being i thought that would have been such an awesome way to handle it and then just have a throwaway line like hey you know Cobb wished he could be here but you know his arm's falling off or something like that like i just think that you know, I like the post credit scene and I like that Cobb Vanth is in there. I wished it was Cad Bane, though. So I think you're right, Liam. Like, I wasn't hype. I was more like, eh. you know, because we just lost a character that we're all really excited about. So that's kind of where we're at, guys. That's a uh, book of Boba Fett. What a show. How are people going to look back 
on book of both that that's a question i have for you i'm gonna go to you savannah first first four episodes was very hit or miss for people and then we got two episodes which people say is the greatest star wars content we've gotten in a long time and then this finale how do you think people are going to look back at book of boba fett say comparing it to mando one mando two or even bad batch for you somebody who's indulged in the animated yeah definitely both seasons of mando and bad batch so much better there what we than what we got um I, the thing is i felt like boba fett really just like encapsulated the problem with star wars is that when it's good it's really good but then they're gonna throw stuff at you that isn't necessary or that doesn't really connect with what they've already set up um so i feel i really hope with the fabro and Filoni, i thought okay we're in a new era of star wars we're gonna have consistency they're tying everything together for the first time but the show made me kind of think that we still have the same problem with star wars so so yeah, that's that's um I think we're gonna kind of think of that. We're not gonna be as optimistic as we were uh, with Mandalorian. And I'm I'm really I was thinking back on kind of history of this show, and it may be reflective of what's going on at Lucasfilm. Of course, we'll never really know. But I remember um, I wrote something last year uh, that came out about Boba Fett, and Rodriguez had actually said that he's describing Boba Fett as all killer and no filler. And then when we got to the show, I was waiting for it. We didn't <laughs> quite get that. And then on Disney Plus Day, we had a couple months ago, Lucasfilm didn't promote anything at all. And we got little to no promotion for Boba Fett leading up to its premiere. And they said it's because there were so many surprises and spoilers. So we only really got that in two episodes of the entire season. So I feel like something is off there. Um, and again, that is 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 um, Star Wars and Lucasfilm. It, it, there's an uh, issue with disconnect and communication. So, so yeah, I feel like we are kind of back to where we were before Mandalorian, where we don't know what we're going to get from one project to the next, and that's that's sad. Um, so yeah, I, that's kind of how I feel that people are going to reflect on Boba Fett is that we have the same problem. Shout out all killer, no filler, real quick. I mean, what a great, what a great <laughs> album, a great what a great quote. It's, <laughs> it's an awesome quote. quote. Shout out cold takes exposed though, because that's <laughs> not what happened here, man. That's, that's a tough one. Liam, um, how are you going to look back on Book of Boba Fett? You have been, um, it's been really interesting to kind of me and you watch this together, right? Because I, I was, I was, I think I was more invested into the small personal Boba Fett story than you were. And then obviously episodes five and six happened where we all loved it, right? And then we have this finale where we finally come to an agreement. I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm conceding a little bit to you here. How do, you, how are you, how are you going to look back on this show? How do you think people are going to look back on this show? When I tell people, when people ask me, um, like you know, what do I need to watch for for Star Wars? I will only tell them chapters five, six, and seven, which is kind of crazy. Um, you know, I, I would recommend watching the full season if this is uh, a universe you're interested in because it's still cool to just get exploration into specific characters. But yeah, overall, this show uh, leading up to the finale made me despise the character of Boba Fett. I did not care for him whatsoever. I was actively rooting for Cad Bane to kill him in this uh, final episode. That being said, I have come around on him a little bit um, in the finale. I thought some of the action redeemed him. Um, I thought the less reliance on the back to tank anytime he just got like knocked down was appreciated um him riding the rancor was cool but 
yeah it's weird it's really really weird uh i don't want to say we're fully back to square one like pre-mando era for star wars because that was that was a dark time guys that was a very dark time but i think we are in a bit of a weird flux right now and i i don't i'm not too concerned because if social conversation the past four weeks has taught me anything it's that star wars is just a roller coaster you know every single week it's uh star wars is gone star wars is back uh star wars uh, star wars is back and then now this week it's like uh star wars is kind of on a little bit of a plateau right now obi-wan kenobi is going to come out in may the first episode is going to have everyone squealing and everyone's going to say star wars is back and then who knows maybe andor comes out in the fall and it's it's slow and people say star wars is gone forever and then ahsoka comes out and everyone's gonna say star wars it's it's always gonna be like this we're in an infinite loop right now and i'm just glad to be along for the ride star wars fans are notorious for not loving star wars they love hating things about star wars you know what i mean like uh i was talking to my buddy about it and i equate it to the dallas cowboys won five championships the greatest franchise in football history haven't won in 25 years so all they do is complain about how you're not as good as 25 years ago sounds pretty pretty similar to star wars i think you know we just complain that it's not the original trilogy again and um what what's interesting to me about this show i loved chapter five i loved chapter six and i was really excited for this over the top where they were going with it all my excitement for that took a huge hit when they didn't really tie a bow on it you know if you're gonna go crazy in uh episodes five and six you gotta at least play it safe in episode seven and give us something to roll out with. My biggest takeaways from this show are going to be they've undone the biggest moment from season two of Mandalorian. I, I feel like they really have like, and I, I don't even think like that's a ambiguous thing. You know, Grogu and Mando separating was the moment there. We're going to get Grogu on his own story. We're going to get Mando on this Mandalore, Darksaber, Bo-Katan story. And then we're going to get Book of Boba Fett, which was going to be this cool side story. That's where we were. You've undone all three of those things within this show. And, um, you know, we have Mandalorian, who was proven in this show to be a character that we love. We heard one little music cue at the end of episode four and people were on it people were ready to go star wars proved that they can introduce an incredibly fresh new organic character and get that kind of hype in less than two years right i feel like because simply because grogu and mando are back together physically you've taken away one of our favorite parts about the mando character the tragedy of it you know, the father-son, like the tragedy of Mando is no longer existent. So now we're going in to Mando 3 with a different perspective than we had at the end of Mando 2, which is so wild to me that they took that chance. And uh, I just, I really don't know where we're going to go. But what I do know is when Obi-Wan comes out, we're going to be in a completely different time period where none of this matters. <laughs> so that's another, that's another thing Star Wars fans have to deal with is the fact that this ball is not going to get moved down the field anymore because we're going back again. So going to be a completely different story. Hopefully Jedi based. Hopefully we get some more Clone Wars, bring animated characters to live action. That's one of the positives I take away from this show. And uh, we'll see what happens with Obi-Wan. I'm still waiting for that Disney plus sizzle on Super Bowl Sunday where the last shot is you and McGregor saying, hello, you know, <laughs> something like that. Um, Savannah, thank you so much for jumping on with us to explore a galaxy far, far away. Where can the people find you on the internet? 
can find me on Twitter at Disney Park Savvy because I'm not writing about Star Wars or Marvel. I'm writing about where it is in the theme parks. That's awesome. Excellent follow for someone who's never been to Disney World. You make me want to go to Disney World. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Thanks, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hope, I hope that's what you were going for. Liam, uh, we will be back here next time for Moon Knight. No, no. Peacemaker. <sighs> Tomorrow. What? Crazy. Can't wait. Awesome. We'll see you guys next time. Super Bowl 56 is this Sunday, and we have an incredible matchup between the Los Angeles Rams, their second Super Bowl in the past three years, but with a complete makeover of a team, new quarterback, new receivers, basically a whole new defense, going up against the young gun, Joe Burrow, Joe Shiesty, Joe Cool, Joey Franchise, all the nicknames in the biz. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, and the Bengals <laughs> coming from worst to first, essentially, with a, an entire just ragtag team of young guns ready to just make their mark on the league. But besides the big game, besides the matchup happening on the gridiron, we have so many commercials to look forward to. And we're not just talking about the ads for Pepsi and Bud Light and Doritos. We're talking about the ads for the blockbusters. Every single year, the Super Bowl is home to some sizzling 30-second TV spots that get me, the advertisement junkie on the direct podcast, losing my mind. Matt, before we get into what we're hoping to get out of the Super Bowl this year, I want to ask you, what are some of your favorite Super Bowl TV spots we've gotten? Um, Quick shout out to the Super Bowl being one of the most lovable Super Bowls of all time. Oh, yeah. You you can't hate to root for anybody. You know, you got the underdog, you got the super team, but it's Matthew Stafford, so it makes it a little different. That's exciting. Um, Bengals plus four. Come on. Come on. We got this, right? And um, I think I'm going to go tails. What do you got? Ooh, I mean, I flip night. I always go heads, so I might just have to stick with heads. Really? And are I, I don't really know your interest in this genre of music. Are you excited for the halftime show? Oh my god, yeah! It's incredible. Right? I saw your tweet attacking my generation for I oh said, we have to we have to Google Google true. Eminem, Kendrick Lamar, Dr. Dre. What? Dr. Dre, like, whatever. I thought it was funny. I'm, a, um, I'm not really an NWA fan, but I saw Straight Outta Compton, and for a month straight, I was just obsessed with just not just their story, but their music and the power oh. behind the lyrics. You know, isn't it so goddamn good? Yeah. Um, uh, that tweet was inspired by when Rihanna, Kanye, and Paul McCartney got on stage and did four five seconds, and I got on Twitter, and it was all these younger people who are just like, who the hell is this old guy on stage with Kanye and Rihanna? And I'm like, do you know how excited Kanye and Rihanna are right now to be on stage with Paul freaking McCartney singing a banger? Come on. Paul McCartney was my first concert. That's awesome. Was it the Eagles or was it just Paul McCartney? It was after one of his solo albums and uh, Good Day Sunshine. I I was young and I fell asleep at a certain point. It was a late night for your boy. And Good Day Sunshine woke me up. I only missed like one song. I fell asleep at my first concert. It was Backstreet Boys. Oh, wow. I was my forced. mom's going to love that one. <laughs> uh, no, no, she loved it. She had a blast. What are you talking about? She got no, I said, my mom is going to love oh. when I tell her that you saw Backstreet yeah. Boys as your first concert. Oh, yeah, 
Backstreet Boys the shit. Um, anyway, favorite Super Bowl ads. Um, <laughs> as far as the superhero stuff, I I know it's recent. Whatever that Disney Plus sizzle two years yep. ago. It was the Chiefs Super Bowl. We were all on Patrick Mahomes, all very excited, all that stuff. Oh. And then, then we got it was so everything about that sizzle was life giving. It really was. It was when the aspect ratio just mm-hmm. tilted down to TV level, and you're just like, man, this is as cool as it gets. And then Shield, boom. You know what I mean? And then people forget. I'm gonna burn this place to the ground, like. Like that was one of the coolest moments ever in the MCU is when Loki said, I'm going to burn this place to the ground. The show ended up being not that at all, <laughs> but. And you know why? I, sorry to interrupt, but I sorry. wrote an article on this. Recently. You're good. That moment, uh, six days before Loki began production. So Hilarious. they shot that just for that sizzle. And the reason yeah. why the show was nothing like that was because it was completely out of context. Yeah, it's insane. And I, I just love that. And, and it was my first time in Colorado. So I wasn't back home with all my friends that I was at a friend's Super Bowl party. It was I didn't know everyone there, right? Um so we were all hanging out, drinking, having a good time. We're watching all the trailers and stuff. You know, we're like, you know, there's some people who really want to watch, some people are playing games or whatever. When this one came on, I'm like, guys, shut up. Like yeah. like in front of people who I've never met. I'm like squealing and I'm getting all excited and stuff and it's just I don't know. That was great. The Logan trailer Set to, uh, oh, what was the song? Shit. I just. The Springsteen anyway. song? No, no. It was, um, it was something. I forget what it was. But the Logan trailer, first time I saw that, I was like, wow, this movie's going to be different. And then at the very end, you see Rated R. And you're like, whoa. Like, Lo- Logan's about to be sick. And then uh, the E-Trade Talking Baby, man. Classic. <laughs> Absolute classic. I understand why it makes people like want to throw up. I get that. It's creepy. I think they're so funny. Yeah, <laughs> no, I see, what, I see what you're saying. And I like how it's like a series. It's like every single year. We, we get episodic. <laughs> yeah, uh, the, the advertisement I'll go outside of the world of film, just because it just came to me and I don't want to lose it, is the brisk iced tea M&M ad mm-hmm. when he's yeah. like uh, a cartoon. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. Okay. I, I always go back and, and rewatch that every now and then. Um, Specifically, oh, another one kind of in the realm. The kid and he's dressed up as darth vader and he's trying to use the force and it's not working and it's an advertisement for the keys that turn on the car um but you don't have to turn them in the car like you know everyone has keys that unlock their car from afar but not many have keys that start their car from afar and the kid is trying to use the force on the car and then the dad from the other room starts the car and he's like oh my god i got the force genius marketing by the way fantastic volkswagen right i think so i'm not 100 percent certain it was volkswagen yeah. Uh, we also have the great one when the Game of Thrones crossed over with uh, the Bud Knight. I thought that was fantastic. Um, but in terms of my favorite yeah. Super Bowl ads uh, for films, specifically within the world of Marvel, because Marvel always crushes it. Uh, Captain America After. Civil War. Everyone always points mm-hmm. to Civil War. United, we stand. Divided, we fall. Awesome, because it's just kind of like a compilation of scenes set to this one thing that wasn't even in the movie. Iron Man 3, I go back to way back in 2013 it's one isolated scene barrel of monkeys him saving people out of the out of the plane and it's awesome it's a great advertisement for iron man 3 avengers endgame was fantastic some people move on but not us and cap gives like a little snarl he's like he's like he's like frustrated in the therapy session just gets me so jazzed up it's like oh my god we're bringing the fight we're gonna win in a couple months i'm I'm stoked for this here's one 
completely out of the box though x-men apocalypse oh, it was yeah. the year that coldplay played the super bowl so they used a coldplay song i like don't say uh we live in a beautiful world and like all the bombs go up and oscar yeah. isaac for like the fourth iteration of what ended up being eight different apocalypse voices that they tested out in advertisements because you go back and watch different x-men apocalypse trailers his voice is different in every single one this one has the best version where he says the classic line everything they've built will fall and there's just something about it it's just uh uh, I'm getting flamed on Twitter uh, for including that in my thread of favorite Super Bowl ads. People being like, you could practically see the CGI. I'm like, I don't care. The music is great. The lines of dialogue are great. And it makes me excited to see a movie that I only really enjoyed one act of. Anyways, though, those are our favorite Super Bowl ads. <laughs> Let's talk about what we can expect from the big game this year. I wrote an article on it. I broke it down. But I also want to hear uh, what you're expecting, Matt. In terms of Marvel, it seems like Marvel's going to be the heavy hitter. They always are every single year. Anytime they have a May release, they tend to release an ad. Even in 2020, before the pandemic hit, they released a Black Widow ad at the Super Bowl. Obviously, it ended up being a movie that was released a year and two months later. That was the first one with the Russian Avengers theme at the very end of it. Ah, yes, it was. So yes, good. it was. It was so fantastic. You mentioned the Disney Plus sizzle being hot. What are your best bets for Super Bowl ads this year? Um, I think uh, you nailed it with your article that you can go find at thedirect.com. Um, uh, I think a strange, a Doctor Strange second trailer is due here. I think it's going to really ramp up toward the movie um, on a huge scale. The fact that they tucked the trailer away at the end of Spider-Man No Way Home before releasing it a week later, I think that it's a very unique start to the marketing campaign. So I think to kind of get a traditional reset as interviews are going to ramp up here in the next couple months, um, get us a Super Bowl trailer and have us start really breaking it down, probably plot stuff, right? Um, so I think that's going to be our big movie one. And then, you know, another sizzle, hopefully. And in terms of that sizzle, you think we get Marvel and Star Wars or one giant Disney Plus one? I think that's a great question, Liam. I do. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know because with Star Wars, it's Obi-Wan, obviously, um, and or maybe. Do they have enough to have all of them link up together? If so, yes, I think it's going to be a split down the middle. If not, what if it's just an overall Disney Plus ad where – the movies coming out this uh, year on Disney Plus. Uh, some new documentaries they might have out. They just added a whole sports section there on Disney Plus where you can watch Remember the Titans, How Many Feet Are in a Mile, um, and all these different things. So what if it's a Disney Plus sizzle where it's everything from Disney, Pixar, Marvel, probably plays a pretty heavy role. We see She-Hulk full form for the first time. We see Miss Marvel in action, something people are very excited to see. And then at the very end, we see a brown hood. And he turns around and says, hello. And it's Ewan McGregor's Obi-Wan mm-hmm. Kenobi. Just like, I'm going to burn this place to the ground. Yeah. I think you put Obi-Wan at the very end of whatever Disney Plus does, just like they did with Loki. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I do think uh, a Disney Plus sizzle is happening in terms of how they're going to divide the content. Is something I'm less confident in. We're definitely getting a Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness trailer, 99.9998%. Uh, I would absolutely bet the house on it. The one thing I think people should not expect is a full trailer. Last year, we got a 30-second Falcon Winter Soldier ad, and then, hey, go to YouTube and watch the full two, two-and-a-half-minute trailer. 
That's historically sucks. speaking big <laughs> advertisement snob here coming in um when they do release a a 30 second spot at the super bowl for avengers endgame for avengers infinity war for cap civil war we don't get the official trailer the final trailer if you will until the teens of march so with a movie like doctor strange multiverse of madness unlike other films where they might have to have a big marketing campaign for it this is Avengers 4.5 is kind of what we're getting at in terms of the scale of this movie. Uh, the anticipation is already there. I do not think that we're going to have a 30 second ad coupled with an official trailer. I think that official trailer will come exactly six weeks before the movie gets released on May 6th, which gives it that typical stretch for a marketing campaign. Yeah. And uh, puts in March Madness, which is also really nice. Um for a 30 second spot we've already we've already been sorry we've already been introduced to doctor strange and the multiverse of madness we've already been introduced to kind of the premise of the movie we really don't know what's going on but uh strange is upset about something don't cast that spell all that stuff so for you if you were to you know prioritize the marketing in this movie you got 30 seconds on in the super bowl what is being shown? What's the next level of thing that you show the audience? What nugget do we get out of a 30-second Multiverse of the Madness spot? It's a really good question, and it's a really tough question because we know we're getting a lot of cameos in this movie. I don't think you should give away any cameos in the marketing. I think Spider-Man No Way Home did it perfectly. Everyone was saying, we know Toby and Andrew are going to be in it. Are you going to show us any hints, even like their feet or, or three webs at once, right? They gave us nothing, and it is one of the most historically impressive box office performances of all time. I think the big nugget that everyone, diehards, casuals, people who only know Marvel from marketing alone, will, will get excited by is a portal. And not just one portal, multiple. I think you crux this 30-second ad with one money shot of a lot of portals opening up that not only harken back to Spider-Man No Way Home and how that made us feel, but harken back to that moment in Avengers Endgame and within those portals, give us some locations that us diehard fans are going to freeze frame and break down and go, oh my God, I think I saw the Fantastic Four Baxter building. Oh my God, is that the X-Mansion? I think, I don't know, like little things like that. When we break down Avengers Endgame, that portal scene is so epic and there's so much to look at from a surface level. When you go and you enhance where the ships are coming in from, oh my God, is that Xandar? Oh my yeah. God, is that like the the wreck, the whatever's left of Asgard, new Asgard? Nowhere. Nowhere, exactly. Stuff like that. I think we get a money shot of a lot of portals implying the universe crossovers without implicitly showing them. I yeah, that'd be sick, man. I want that. I want that in my life. Um, but I got I got two other predictions, if I could, real quick, for what they what's the next bit of information they could show. There are two characters in this movie that is that are both being heavily marketed on promo art. You know, the t-shirts, the images that we see in our Slack channel, right? Like, I feel like I learned what I learned from No Way Home is you can really see what they're going to focus on from a marketing standpoint by those t-shirts. You know, mm -hmm. what t-shirts are they going to sell? It's America Chavez and the third Doctor Strange. Two characters in this movie that really haven't been explicitly shown in that first trailer. They're in there. Both of them are in the trailer, but you wouldn't know the third Doctor Strange is that until you freeze frame it. And the only reason you know America Chavez is in there is because we know who the actress is, right? 
um uh, uh Zochi Gomez Zochi Gomez um so I think something they could do is really focus on America Chavez and why we should be excited about her because she's I can't what role is she playing in this movie like from a weight standpoint like what stance does she have like what is she going to contribute we already have Wanda Doc in Supreme Strange looking terrifying what's this other character i think if you focus the marketing on that it can get us pretty excited i'm right there with you and i also think wanda is is prime for good real estate in terms of 30 seconds of footage i think she could get as many as six seconds which i know sounds like nothing but that's 20 percent. it's gonna get bad isn't it with wanda yeah, it's gonna get it's gonna get dark it's gonna get ugly like it's gonna be tough to defend wanda like be excited about it <laughs> you yeah. know what i mean like ugh. It's going to be weird. It's going to be weird. Other trailers we could get. We talked about Kenobi. Uh, Kenobi, I think, will always be just kind of an asterisk until they get a release date. I think the beauty of doing a Disney Plus sizzle or a Star Wars sizzle and having Kenobi footage in there is you can group it all together and get away with coming soon. I think that they don't want to release a Kenobi trailer until they can end it with where we're going to mark our calendars. So that's kind of a dark horse for me. I also mentioned Marvel and, and Star Wars individual sizzles, a little bit more of a dark horse. Let's talk about one that, you know, uh, people are waiting for, not necessarily hoping for, because Multiverse of Madness is first on the radar, Thor Love and Thunder. Matt, you wrote a fantastic article uh, a couple months back with one of the most useful infographics I've ever seen in my life, talking about marketing campaigns uh, when they officially kick off for these individual movies. And you mentioned how that there's this kind of money window of, I believe it's 142 to 204 days. and 142 to 204 days from the first trailer to release. Exactly. So when that initial teaser trailer drops to when a movie comes out and Spider-Man No Way Home, I believe was outside of that window. It got very close uh, to when that first teaser dropped between when the movie came out on December 17th. I think the only movie shorter than that was Cap First Avenger. Incredible Hulk. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it makes sense. Didn't, because they didn't Iron drop Man. it until after Iron Man. Interesting. Wow, that's crazy. Well, anyways, the the Thor Love and Thunder uh, between the Super Bowl and when it comes out on July 8th, 2022, is inside that money window. I believe it's around the 160-day range. So, you know, reason stands to show Shang-Chi specifically was 163. Very Mm -hmm. close in terms of, I know we're in this pandemic era where things get different. Thor Love and Thunder is coming up on a Shang-Chi differential in terms of teaser trailer to release date. Do you think that there is any chance we get Thor Love and Thunder footage? It'd be the best surprise, right? Yeah. It'd be the best way to get everyone hyped. It's a legacy character. You got Taika, so you know the music and the colors are going to just be insane. You get Natalie Portman in there. Like, I don't, I don't know. I really don't. I hope so, though, man. I would be shocked if it happened, but I think that's the kind of shock that you want. And I don't think any project has those kind of legs. Um, you know, Disney Plus has kind of ran the game a little bit these past couple of years. I think it's because there's so much of it. We have something like four months worth of Disney Plus content from the MCU since it first started already. So um, I think that, you know, the movie trailer specifically, I think they can use Thor Love and Thunder to really pop and get us to everybody to mark on Thor being in a surprise trailer. You know what I mean? And it's going to be a situation to where like the – the first 10 seconds of the trailer, you're not going to know what movie it is. And then Thor's going to show up and you'll be like, Oh damn. 
And then, you know, what if we did like, like that'd be sick. <laughs> like it really would like reusing songs, whatever. That'd be amazing. If we all just heard that. Cause what do you think of when you hear that song now? Like it used to be guitar hero. It used to be just great rock and roll music. Now it's Thor. Every it used time. to be, it used to be Shrek too for me. Oh, sure. Sure. Never you know seen what I'm it. Talking about? Yeah. No, I never saw it. One of the princesses that controls all the animals goes ah and then sends love the birds that. at the nights love sure whatever that's great stuff but like you know there's so much pop factor with the thor love of thunder spot yeah i, I agree and it is marked in doubtful uh, on my article for that reason but doubtful doesn't mean not happening whatsoever stuff we do know is not happening though very interestingly sony apple and warner brothers all sitting out at the super bowl According to the Hollywood Reporter. So unless uh, a last second swerve happens and they insert footage, we're not getting trailers from Sony, Apple, Warner Brothers. Apple, as of right now, nothing that we cover here on, on the podcast yet. Oh, uh, I know what you're about to say. Ted Lasso's really good. Oh, oh, I thought you were, Yeah, Ted Lasso's fantastic. No, no, no. Ted Lasso's really good. <laughs> it's fantastic. The one thing that we might cover one day. Uh, you hear that Godzilla series, oh. Godzilla Kong thing on Apple? Yes. <laughs> Crazy. Yes. Anyways, though, uh, Sony, no Morbius, which doesn't really shock me. $7 million for 30 seconds of ad, ad spot on the Super Bowl. Morbius, I don't think, warrants that in terms of risk versus reward. Warner Brothers, though, their most populated year in DC content, the Batman, the Flash, Aquaman 2, and Black Adam. It's shocking to me to not want to use this kind of real estate to at least get the general public, the entire general public, in the know about what you have coming up on your slate. Do you think that this is, this is a missed opportunity by Warner Brothers? Absolutely. I think that, um, you know, there's momentum behind Warner Brothers and the DCEU right now because of the James Gunn stuff. Yes, it's one genre. It's one niche. It's one brand of comic book stuff and it's not serious it's not um you know it's not something that's gonna get into the oscar conversation it's not you know man of steel type anything right so you know while you have this momentum why not push your other stuff i just don't get it um unless um i don't know they seem worried a little bit the thing about aquaman and flash is every time any general fan sees those characters on screen they're gonna immediately think like oh what universe is this connected to or as opposed to black adam you know, it's, it seems more like blinders are on a little bit. You know, it's Shazam. It's a Shazam prequel. That's what you need to know, right? But as far as not getting a Black Adam trailer specifically here in the Super Bowl, I think it's crazy. We've seen so little of this movie. You have one of the biggest faces in the history of Hollywood at the front of this thing. Um, can't you just kind of see the Black Adam official trailers being the rock narrating just like he was a DC fandom? You know yeah, what I mean? It's like... You know, and here is Black Adam, you know, like at every trailer, though, <laughs> you know, just to get people to listen. It'd be interesting. But yeah, I, I, I find it weird for sure. It is very odd. And I'm right there with you in terms of Black Adam specifically. Not only is this a new character that is not mainstream yet, that is played by the biggest active movie star in the game. It comes out in July. We talk about that money release window in terms of Thor Love and Thunder. There's precedence to believe that a Love and Thunder trailer could happen because of how close it is in proximity. Black Adam, like this is when you would release a teaser trailer. This is when you would put out a 30 second spot full trailer online. Like it shocks me 
in like out of all movies on the docket in terms of stuff we cover black adam benefits the most it's a huge net gain superheroes are crazy popular right now and then you tell the general public oh yeah the rock is playing someone that's when social conversation goes up about we talk about how much moon knight benefited from the wild card weekend spot with everyone on twitter going what do i need to read i'm invested in this character i think the same thing would happen tenfold with black adam i think people would be like who the hell is this guy he looks dope and he's played by the rock i'm i'm invested i'm in it's a missed opportunity if not now win like like what are they waiting for like i don't know it's it is a strange 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 move it's it's wild to me my only and i talked to you about this off air the only explanation i can think of is that the rock already has too many super bowl commercials you know like there's oh well also you know the batman you don't want to get in the way of that i get that but like they're not going to release another full batman trailer they've already released two plus 18 oh i have not watched a batman clip in a long time Liam. it's been a very long it's been weeks they released Riddler's backstory, by the way. Um, yeah, did not I don't look that. into that whatsoever. That's why we didn't no. cover it in the sizzle. Like, we, you don't want to know that. No, you're already, you're already no. Buy your tickets. No, you don't want to know that. We're, I'm talking to you right now, the listener. You do not want, want to know about the Riddler. All you need to know heading into the Batman is everything we cover on the direct primer, where we cover everything you need to know about the Batman, featuring Barstool Sports' very own Bob Fox. Anyway, um, it's just a really weird thing that they're not getting in on this game. Especially when, I mean, you look at what Marvel has on the slate. They're releasing a second trailer at best. You know what I mean? Like, like they're not going to release a trailer for a new project in this. Like, everything's already been premiered. Why not jump in there and take the superhero spotlight away from the Red Brand here? You can do it. You have a new character. We've already seen the Multiverse of Madness trailer. We've already seen the Moon Knight trailer. Everything we're going to get from now on in the Super Bowl is going to be extra get a premiere trailer in there. I just don't understand why they wouldn't do it. I think that the best way to put it is a missed opportunity. And we'll see what happens at the Super Bowl this Sunday. I'm sure we're going to have a lot to talk about. I will say right now, can't guarantee it, but depending on the footage that gets released, keep an eye out for maybe an emergency episode. Maybe, maybe. I know Matt's going to be crazy busy with uh, action graphics, Super Bowl, biggest day in football, obviously. But maybe, uh, maybe a Monday afternoon emergency episode. We'll see. I, I think man, let's stay up late. Let's just do it. You know what I mean? Make it a national holiday, guys. Day after Super Bowl. Why not? Who's it hurting? Some Cincinnati school districts already did so, which I know a lot of people are like, oh, wow, you think you're going to win? No, it doesn't matter. No. Everyone's going to be up late anyways. Like, come on. Yeah. Liam, you've lost two Super Bowls in tragic fashion. How's that next day? It sucks. It's awful. It's the worst feeling in the world going to school the next day after your team loses a Super Bowl because Kendrick Wilson's boyfriend can't cover an onside kick. God damn it. We both we both suffered at the big game. I, I know I can't even say that to you. I don't want to hear it from you. <laughs> but anyway, Super Bowl 56 is this Sunday. Keep an eye out for maybe an emergency episode. Keep an eye out, as Matt alluded to, for that Batman primer coming in the next coming weeks, the traditional week before release. It's going to be hype. It's going to be big. Let's get out of here. That was a quick question. That was a sizzle reel. That was a Boba Fett finale review. That was a Super Bowl trailer preview. And that's an episode, episode 74 of the Direct Podcast in your ears right now on a freaking Wednesday. But before we get out of here, weekly recommendations come on the Friday episodes, Wednesday as we venture outside of the universes you love of Marvel, DC, and Star Wars. We talk about stuff that we're interested in that kind of has a bit of a cult following 
on social media, among fans, among viewers, what have you. Matt, tell me all about your experience with season one of Ted Lasso. It's awesome, man. It's one of those things. It was New Girl. It was Game of Thrones. It was Stranger Things. All things people told me, oh, you got to watch it. You're going to love it. You're going to love it. I hate when people tell me what I'm going to love. Yeah. Know me. You don't know what I'm going to love. I I had some of my best friends tell me, oh, Matt, New Girl is so for you. You're just so this, that, the other. And for years, I was like, no way. You know, what if I don't like it? Have you seen New Girl? (laughs) Like, It's an amazing show. So like, this is the latest one where everybody's raving over Ted Lasso. I never got into it. Wow, man. Wow. What do they call cleats out here? Boots. What do they call the trunk of your car? A boot. So what happens when I get fired? I'm putting my cleats in the trunk of the car. You're putting your boots in the boot. I forget the boot. <laughs> Come on, man. You can't beat it. Like it's, it's an incredible show. The writing's insane. It's SNL comedy all the way through. It's just joke, 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 pun, joke, joke, joke. But then you're crying. Cause Roy effing Kent, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like out of nowhere, it's so good. Um, me and Aaron binged the, the entire first season in like two days, two or three days. And then um, she's like, all right, let's dive in season two. I can't wait. Let's go. And I said, no, we need to stop. <laughs> we need to slow down. You're about to go to work for three days. Let's watch the first episode of season two tomorrow. And then when you get back from work, then we'll dive back into it before the Super Bowl starts. It's, Great show. Thank you for recommending it to me because it's it's awesome. It's really good. It's it's awesome. I feel I've talked about it in weekly recommendations before, but it's legit like therapeutic. His his positivity is radiating. Like if you ever have like a busy day at work or just a day where you're just stretched too thin, any episode from season one specifically. We'll we'll talk about season two when you get there. Um, but season season one is so contained, it's so con- condensed to one singular narrative. And yeah, Jason Sudeikis, I never thought that this would be a role he would be perfect for because he always kind of gave me like the raunchy comedy vibe a little bit. Where the Millers was the first R-rated movie I ever saw in theaters. So good. Uh, saw it in Ireland. So technically it was legal when I, when I had seen it. But yeah, just something about it. Something about that charisma. And this is the role of a lifetime. And the fact that there is such a cult following surrounding uh, a show that is on kind of a one show streaming service. Not that Apple TV Plus uh, doesn't have some good stuff, morning show, defending Jacob, but the one people flock to, the reason why people subscribe and pay $5 a month is Ted Lasso, and it's for good reason. Wonderful. That's It's all good characters, too. It's it's everything you love about a sitcom, but it's produced like Apple, and uh, it's it's just good. It's like a great HBO show, but it feels more like an NBC sitcom like The Office or something. You know what I mean? It's got it's got everything you want out of it. It's great. Yeah, it is great, and uh, one thing Coach I'll leave Beard. you with, Coach Beard, real quick. Coach Beard, yes. Everyone find a Coach Beard in your life. Mm-hmm. Somebody who's just loyal to you and knows what you're going to say. Coach, what do we call a team who doesn't commit to winning back in the States? The New York Jets. <laughs> just that kind of stuff. It's so awesome. I love everything about it. Do you believe in ghosts? Well, first, I think ghosts need to believe in themselves. The greatest line <laughs> in the, the history of television. That's episode 74 of the Rock Podcast. That's Matt Remke. You can find him on socials at Matt, R-O-E-M-B as in boy, K-E. Or you can find me on socials, Liam Crowley at Liam T. Crowley. We'll see you back here on Friday for Peacemaker, episode seven, Super Bowl this Sunday. Peace. I was blown away. What could I say? It all seemed to make sense You've taken away everything And I can't deal with that I try to see the good in life
By the way, uh, Carrie Underwood's uh, stand up and she is stomping your feet, start clapping. That's my favorite one. And a lot of people give it hate for whatever reason. That was a song. Yeah. Right? It's a good song. I, I, like I enjoy Underwood. Oh, you don't like Carrie Underwood? She's someone I have investment with because uh, my family used to watch American Idol like sure. weekly. It was appointment television. It was yeah. Carrie Underwood. You and everybody uh, else in America. We, well, <laughs> Kelly Clarkson. <laughs> that's fair. We we were past the Kelly Clarkson season. Uh, we didn't watch that one live. But it's you weird to think been back. there for Kelly Clarkson too. It was nuts. <laughs> it's weird to think back because I know you're like you and everyone else in America, but like that's such a thing in the past. Like no mm-hmm. one watches. Like like I'd love to see what those kind of viewers do because mm-hmm. a big thing with like pro wrestling. Like every week we talk about like dynamite is like lucky to pull in a million viewers raw still consistently does like 1.8 million and like back in the day in the late 90s like raw used to beat monday night football what the fuck like that's nuts to me yeah they had some shit announcers back then or no was that madden that was the met no i don't know that was early 90s either way but uh yeah american idol my guy is always gonna be chris daughtry you know chris daughtry sure I've seen Chris Daughtry live in concert three times. <sighs> so jealous. He's so, so good. It's a, lot of, it's a lot of mom dancing. I know? will. After so this, I'll send you a... I made one of those like tribute compilations immediately after Endgame. So the footage from Endgame is nothing like it's, it's like cell phone footage, but it's Iron Man's arc throughout the MCU set to oh. It's Not Over by Daughtry. And I never, I never put it on YouTube because I wanted to polish the final clips and it's it's a side project i'll do eventually but i'll send it to you if you're a daughtry fan you might actually tear up because there's there's one little moment where he goes like my life with you means everything and it's him putting the necklace on pepper yeah great scene i love iron man 3 yeah it's awesome are you ready try to do it better this time around yeah (laughs) all right and in three two 